Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who's going to play Monopoly 21 Checkers and Chess and probably some Twister and Risk while he's consuming a few Man on the Moon drinks during this podcast recording. <laughs> Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Uh, hola, Ben. How mean? So remind everyone what actually comprises a Man on the Moon. Technically, it's a blue moon and a shot of orange vodka, but I have a bastardized version that somebody introduced me to where you substitute the orange vodka for a a shot of peach schnapps. And I'm almost done with my second one, so I have a third one lined up. Okay, Uh, this could be fun. All right, Uh, so for this episode, we do have a special guest. He's the voice behind the band Red Wanting Blue. Their last full record called The Wanting came out in 2018 and included I've Got a Feeling It Hurts and High and Dry. Please welcome to the podcast from Red Wanting Blue, Scott Terry. Hello there, gentlemen. How are you? We're doing fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. So the premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast, I ask the all important question, what t-shirt are you wearing? Let's start with Wayne. What t-shirt are you wearing? I just recently, to try to tie it in with some boys from the South, I recently got a shirt from uh, Jason Isabel and the 400 unit from their uh, concert in Charlotte. Fantastic. And how about you, Scott? What uh, what T-shirt are you wearing? Well, I, I was prepared for this. I was told to 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 be prepared for this one. So, uh, I, in honor of my good friend Anthony Diamato, who is the reason why I got connected with you guys, I am wearing one of Anthony's new shirts that I got at his show a couple weeks ago. That was it's pretty wicked, a pretty wicked concert tee of a uh, of a bald eagle flying holding a suitcase underneath it looks super awesome his his fiance jane drew it and uh i'm a big fan of the shirt and his music so i thought you know what i shall pay homage and uh so here i am i am rocking anthony diamato's shirt nice there you go fantastic yeah. uh and i'm wearing a new t-shirt as well so uh, a couple weeks ago i saw the menzingers in concert, and so I'm wearing one of their one of their t-shirts. Uh, very great uh, show, Wayne. If uh, if they come your way, you don't want to miss it. Can Can I ask you guys? Can I ask you what color are these shirts that you're wearing? So mine's white. Okay. Okay. Uh, mine's black. Oh, okay. Very nice. And that and that probably. Uh, demonstrates the difference between Wayne and I. So I'm in Florida, (laughs) black t-shirts, black t-shirts in Florida are usually not a really good idea. I do have way too many black t-shirts in the collection. (laughs) So uh, when I saw a white t-shirt for the Mendingers, I was like, yeah, it's not my favorite design, but it's white and I, I can wear it on Saturday mornings while I'm watching my kids' soccer game. Yeah, so I totally get that. And again, the black the black t shirt, the concert tee it's it, it's a classic. But yeah, you're right. The Anthony Diamato shirt is also white. It's got the baseball sleeves on it, so it's white with the light light blue. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, he really shook things up. So we'll see how long this lasts before it has coffee stains or something else on it. So. Yeah, I eat a lot of barbecue too. That's why I like black shirts. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, Wayne Wayne even texted me I don't know what about 6 months ago where you had you had uh bought a white t-shirt and you're like 
there were some spaghetti marks on the white t-shirt <laughs> and you're like, this is the reason why I don't buy white t-shirts. Yeah, I like too much, too much spaghetti, too much barbecue. That's it. All right. Well, um, so Scott, you kind of stole my, uh, my first question. Oh. Cause I was going to ask, how, how do you know, Anthony? And oh. we we've already, we've already established that. So yeah, we, we, we actually, uh, yeah, we've known each other now here for for a few years, but uh, we we got connected through my management uh, in New York, and just we kicked we hit it off so well right away that we we wound up doing some uh, some touring with Anthony on this record, The Wanting, and uh, yeah, he's just an awesome. Aside from just being a great artist, he's just a really solid dude, a great guy, and a super awesome hang. So. Uh, to everybody out there, check out his music and then, you know, try to get his phone number and call him and hang out with him. <laughs> He's a good guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had, we had a great time talking yeah, absolutely. To with him a couple months ago. So we're, we're glad that uh, he hooked us up with you as well. So, um, so let's talk, uh, let's talk some red wanting blue before we get into the record that, uh, that you chose. Sure, you, so you guys have been, you guys have been doing this a while. We have been. It's the only adult job I've ever had. Not that it's really an adult job, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been doing it. Uh, this band's been together for 23, going on 24 years. We started in ni- wow. 1996. Yeah. yeah. At Athens, Ohio, uh, at Ohio University and College. Yeah. And and we've had, we've had quite a few Ohio guests on, um, oh, yeah? haven't we, Wayne? Um, yeah. So, Gillard, Petkovic, yeah, Davis, Gillard, Davidson. Davidson. Yeah. Yeah. So well, well, most of ours have been, most of those guests have been more on the, the, I would say the punk, the, the real indie rock side of things. So Doug Gillard from Guided by oh, Voices, awesome. he was, yeah. yeah, he, he was on earlier this That's year great. and, um, yeah. So your, your 2018 record. So, um, Wayne probably doesn't know this, but that was produced by Will Hogue. Wasn't yes, it, it was. Oh God, I love Will Hogue. Oh man, have you have, oh, you, have you had him on the podcast yet? Oh, I can't. We are we got to we're working on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're working on it. Yeah, and and he's not the so so your band is not the first one that uh, we've had on that was produced by Will. So Stephen Kellogg, right. who was on a few months back, he was his last record was also produced. by Yes, Will. yeah, I know. I I, uh, I, we, I remember seeing that whole process take take shape, which was really great. You know, um, I, we actually recorded our record before, and uh, it, but it was really great the whole process was awesome. Working with Will was, was great. And I'm so glad Steven, he, 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 he saw what we saw and, you know, let Will run with it. And he was, he was awesome. Yeah, it was great, great guy to, to work on records with. So what is it about Will that, cause I'm, I'm just going to kind of throw this out there. So yeah. I love your last, I love your last record. Thanks. It's probably, it's probably my favorite um, <laughs> of all the records that you've, you've thrown Me out too. there. And I also, and I said that, to Stephen Kellogg as well, I said your last record is probably my favorite one that you've done, and and I, I and I'm not sure if I need to credit Will <laughs> or if or or credit you guys for just taking some of that direction from Will um, and just turning this into some some really good records. Well, you know what? Yeah, I, I got to tell you, it's Will's greatest selling point when we talked about it because you know we've all we toured 
the country with him multiple times and we played we've known each other for years and years so just like how steven and will they we all you know we all cross paths and we we've all we all run in the same circles so after a while you you know you do get to know these other people and you can say you know what i love watching this band live i've heard the records and you know you can see you you know with with some bands you can say this is a they're really great studio band they make really great records and you know but maybe maybe the live show is where you go oh you know what but i don't really feel it live um and vice versa you know it's a it's a hard thing it's like you know it's Mm -hmm. like you have a long game and a short game you know it's like it's it's to have both is is what everyone's striving for and we had just come off of making three records with the same producer and so we were just looking for a change at that point and I remember speaking with Will. We were, we were actually on the Rockboat Music Festival. So we we yeah. found ourselves on a beach in Mexico, and he he had, he started bringing up the conversation of maybe I should produce this. Maybe I should produce a record with you guys because his one of the greatest things that he said to us was, you know, I've I sit I've had the I've had the unique position to sit on the side of the stage and watch your show and see how people react. And at the same time, get to listen to those records before and after. And he said, you know, I don't know. I don't have any, you know, magic, uh, magic eight ball or I can't, I can't read the future, but he's like, if you give me the darts, I have a feeling I can get closer to the bullseye than some other producer who doesn't really know you. Cause he's like, I see what people, what people see when they watch you live. And I think that we can, we can make a record more like that. And, and that was that's all I needed to hear, you know, cause we wanted to, we're always trying to make that record, uh, you know, capturing what it is about our band that people seem to like. Cause I, and I think you'd be, I think you'd be surprised to find how many bands, if you ask them, what do people like about you? They'd be like, I don't really know. We're still trying to figure that out. You know, it's a, it's a hard <laughs> thing. Um, so, so that's it. That was a great thing. And I think that I hope to see more, more friends, uh, you know, m- you know, musical peers doing this type of work where it's like, you know what, we've known each other for a long time. I know what your strong suits are. I know uh, what people want to see and, you know, trying to get that out of you as opposed to, you know, just having someone, and I'm not trying to discredit anybody that, you know, that's like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a producer and this is what I do. I go find bands and make records. Cause that's, right. we've certainly done that too, but it, it was a really cool thing to walk in knowing we already know him, you know, the bands backed up Will and played with Will, you know, as his backup band before. So he knew everybody intimately and we could cut through all of the, you know, getting to know you stuff and just get right to it. And it was, it was really awesome. I, and so I'm glad that you guys think, you know, uh, I'm not sure if it was, a, was it you Ben that said that's your favorite? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Thanks man. It's, yeah. it's, it's ours too. It's ours too. And, and we, we just did an episode uh, about Terrence Trent Darby. So I don't know if oh, you for- remember that name from, from, from back in the sure. day. Uh, and we, we talked about that there was a drop off between record one, which is just outstanding to record two. And part of that was he self-produced second record. So I'm thinking that first record, you still had some, some pretty heavy hitter producers, engineers, telling you this is where you should probably make some tweaks as opposed to just 
you doing it yourself. So look, I'm, I'm just a music nerd. I'm not a music producer. (laughs) So, um, I, I'm just, I'm just telling you from, from what I hear, um, through my headphones and I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds good. Or that just, maybe you needed a will hope to help you with. Yeah. You know what? And, And there's a lot of time that I find, you know, I will, I mean, you, you tell me if, if you, if you listen to a band, you said, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go check out a band. We're going to go to see this show. And then you, you, you do what everybody does. You go to the, you know, you go to the computer and you try to like, listen to what they sound like and see if you like it or not. And you can sometimes have a, like there it's been, it's happened to me a lot where I've had, okay, you know, I can, I get it. I think I get it anyway. And it's, it's okay. This seems cool. And then you go and then it's like, wow, I, the energy and what I saw really did not represent. I didn't get that. That wasn't represented in what I heard mm-hmm. earlier today. And I feel like that's, you know, there, there's usually, there can be a gap there. Um, and so for, for us, I've always felt that way. You know, you're always trying to, you know, records are a band's, you know, self-portrait, if you will, you know, you're always trying to make it look, you know, you want it to get it as close as you can. And, yeah. uh, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes you, you do and sometimes you don't, you know. Would you rather people become fans of yours through the live product or through hearing your record? Because I've I've had both experiences. Like uh, I was kind of a passive Wilco fan until my best friend said, you need to see these guys live. Yeah. And, then I, and then I did and I'm like, um, like I seriously, if, if, if I go a year without seeing Wilco live, I like have withdrawals. <laughs> That's great. You know? Yeah. So luckily I was able to get my fix here a month ago when I was actually in Detroit oh, uh, nice. where I think you're, you're on your way to. Yeah. Um, and I kind of get that. I kind of get that with carbon leaf as well. Like I have to see them at least once a year to get my, get my feel. That's great. Me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, we're we're good friends with those guys, um, and I, I don't, yeah. and I'm a huge Wilco fan as well. We the whole band just loves loves those guys. I, I feel like that's yeah. I think that there's a certain energy that you get to answer your question. I think that um, I would rather someone uh, I'd rather someone see see us live because we are a live band. Uh, you know, like that's I would say more than anything. That's not to tip my own cap here but you know i feel like that's what people seem to say they would you know historically about our band they would say man you got to see this band live and then like the records all seem to make sense after that you know which sometimes it they don't make sense on their own and that's a and that again that's getting back to you know having someone that knows you trying to bridge that gap and that's what will you know will and i and the band we were all that's what we were all trying to go for yeah I get to finally see you guys live. Oh yeah. In January. Oh, that's yeah. that's right. I have, uh, I've always missed you every time that you have come through Orlando. I've always been either on the road from my previous job or who, who knows, <laughs> who knows what the other reasons were, but, uh, you guys are coming, you guys are coming with carbon leaf next time. So yeah, it's going to be, you're going to get a double dose. It's going to be great. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited for that. Yeah. And so, we've got, very- we've got Tim and Eric of the alternate roots are going to be opening those, those dates as well. And they're, they're a great very band. Nice. If you, if you haven't heard them, they're great. I have not heard them. So I'm, I'm definitely going to have to be spinning that before I, uh, before I show up. 
I, I talked about the 2018 record. So yeah. you have actually put out a few singles this year. So you put out single uh, Go and Say Goodbye and also an updated version of Hitchhiker's Lullaby, yeah. which, I, which I freaking love. Oh, thanks. Um, we crossed a creek wide ocean of green Chasing sunsets made of gold I thought for sure the badlands would break us But they sent us down the road Rocky Mountain welcome wagon Got us so high our roots nearly took her Yeah, we had a ball out in Colorado But the ball had to roll Someone, somewhere Will remember us The years we got lost When the world needed us Heads in the clouds Hearts sworn to never rust Thumbs to the road And the rest was dust So, so those singles... Um, those included some collaboration with Rusty Young. Yeah, that was Rusty's. A, he's a very cool guy. Um, we're going to actually see him here this weekend. Um, but that that actually happened through our record label. Um, Rusty's on on our our label, and as we were all getting together, there there's a lot of studio time that happens um, when we we go out at the end of the year, and a bunch of the artists are all out there, and we wound up sort of asking rusty hey would you come out and do a song with us and at the same time we'd like to do you know a song with you and so he came out and played i mean that poco go and say goodbye which is actually a steven stills song uh, but that yeah. the only the version that i knew and the whole band knew our drummer dean uh he grew up loving the that poco record um, so we wound up, uh, that's the, uh, good feeling to know record. And he played, we played it a lot in this bus and that was just, that song has always got me. And so then to find out, Oh, Hey, yeah, that guy, he's on the same, he's on the label and you'll see him whether you like it or not. So you can, you know, and you're both going to be in a studio. So it was like, Hey, do you think he'd be open to that idea? And, uh, I forget who asked cause we were all a little nervous about that, but yeah, he was really awesome about it and said, Hey, I'd love to. And then at the same time he said, and I'd love to play in hitchhikers. So we had to take advantage of that. So hopefully we can do that again here. This, uh, uh, this next trip that we take. Yeah. I probably, I probably should have said, Oh, and by the way, Rusty Young from Poco. I, I didn't. I didn't give that uh, introduction to people who may not be familiar with with Poco. And um, Wayne, you know who else was in Poco, right? Yeah, your I'm, I'm aware. Your arch nemesis. <laughs> oh, really, Wayne? Who's I'm your aware. nemesis? Uh, Timothy B. Schmidt. Ah, okay. Why is that? I I really have no good reason. I just I've never liked him. I feel, I don't know. I feel like he was bad for the Eagles or something. I don't oh, really? I don't know what it is. Interesting. He's the one. Who, isn't he the one who could sing all the high stuff? Yeah. Yeah. He he replaced Randy Meisner. That's right. Which yeah. which he replaced Randy Meisner in Poco as well. Which that's <laughs> that's just hilarious. Isn't that hilarious? Just Randy Meisner's coat coattails. Yeah. It's just riding yeah. them. Well, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that was my you know what when I first got educated about Poco, that was a big thing. I was I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, this sounds like the Eagles. And it's like, well, yeah, there's a story there. And then as you dig into the story, you're like, oh man, wow, Eagles really really should credit Poco for a lot of, a lot of where they are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
we're fans. So, so, so before we jump into the record that you chose, so, um, kind of going back to what you were talking about with the whole live, uh, live product. So if there's one song or two songs that you think best represent red wanting blue, like what, what are the songs that your diehard fans like expect to be on the set list? Hmm. It's a good question. Well, I would say that there's a song off of a record called from the vanishing point. And it's also on, we have a, like a 20 year live record called RWB 20. Uh, but there's a, and that, that, that live version is my favorite version of the song, but it's a song called hope on a rope. And we try to never, ever play a show without playing that song. I think it represents sort of the, you know, our band, if, you know, if we had a mission statement, it would probably be that song. And that song there's another song called finger in the air that ah, is, i love it yeah <laughs> love that song thanks man it's yeah it's become a bit of a an underdog anthem uh in our circles and it, it's a it's a great thing to look at a huge crowd of people all giving you the finger <laughs> which everybody seems to enjoy doing <laughs> so but uh yeah i would say those songs that the I don't want to sit and just name all these greatest no, I, people I, I know. No, but I, I, I think for at least for me, um, I won't speak for everybody, but I'll say um, if I have to play a show and not play those songs, I'm always a little disappointed. I feel like those yeah. songs kind of make me feel like I left my stamp on wherever we were. So gotcha. Yeah, yeah, Wayne. Uh, I always like to try and predict what songs Wayne is going to like on the record that we talk about, but I'm always, I'm always interested on, on, uh, bands that maybe he's not completely, uh, you know, uh, aware of trying to see what, what his favorite songs would be from, from those. And I, and I thought, I thought he was going to say, my name is death. Oh, and I'm glad you said that because then I listened to that song and I absolutely, I may actually like that song a bit better, but it's close. But I mean, Finger in the Air is one of those songs which, uh, when it, it just takes you back to a, a time and that, that it capsule, you know, it's always amazed me that a guy, you know, who's never met me writes a song that, and I can't be the only one, but it transports you back into this time period where you, where you, you know, you egged them on, you've, you know, middle finger in the air yeah. and you're taunting them and you just, that young, you're not, you're completely fearless. You're as strong as you're ever going to get. And and you haven't learned to temper it yet. And you just battle everybody yeah. just to do it. And it, it, it literally, that song took me right back there when I heard it. Oh, that's great, man. What I've seen, you don't know, this is what I always wanted. Well, I'll tell you what, if you, if you guys can, 
handle a short story about my name is death. That was, that was a song that at the time, again, it's, it's a neat thing to see the sign of the times, but when that record came out, that's, you know, still a lot of, uh, you know, physical CDs and things being sold. Walmart was a big player and, you know, some of these big box stores. And, uh, because of that song and the obscenities and the chorus, it was like, this record's going to have a parental advisory sticker and it won't be allowed to be sold in certain places. And Mm -hmm. so it turned into this, like, I think what we should try to do is just bury the song and put it at the end. It'll be a a bonus track for people. If they, you know, they'll hear that and fast, you know, fast forward a couple of years later, it doesn't matter, you know, and the record industry has been turned on its side and everything's digital now. And then people, so now you're left with people that are on iTunes having to buy a different song to get that song. Cause it's like nine minutes long with, you know, 50 minutes or 50 seconds of space in between them. <laughs> so then the, then the label was like, Oh, well we should wait, wait a second. We got to break that up. Cause we can make another dollar off the sale. And you know, why wouldn't they? And so they did that, but then through that and that song somehow now existing on its own, um, you know, it's just amazing how the way these new channels of how people find music with Spotify and everything else, that song, finds its way surfacing up and people say it's like you know i think it's the number one spotified song by our band so which is just bizarre that it's you know that it was buried originally because it was like well we don't want we don't want the wrong people to hear that you know or whatever so (laughs) and now now that is also a fun song to sing it's um always it still weirds us out when we have to people are yelling for it and there's like kids in the crowd it's always like oh i don't know maybe you know we we still have some paranoia over that but it's a fun, it's a fun song to sing for sure. Got to know your audience. Yep. You know? Yeah. yeah. Our, we have the kind of parents out there that have no problem letting their kids hear those types of words. So we're, right. lu- we're lucky that we've got liberal folks. Yeah. I was at, <laughs> I was at, I was at Disney. So I'm going to go on a tangent here. Oh. So I was at, I was at Disney a few years ago to, to see Toad the Wet Sprocket. They were at the food and wine festival and somebody called out, play holder down and if you don't know holder down is a i'm very familiar i love toad the wet sprocket yeah it's an anti-rape song Mm -hmm. and you know he throws a couple f-bombs and glenn just looked at the dude he's like this is not the place right yeah (laughs) right exactly well that's that's great that's great i so you're toad the wet sprocket fan that was a tough one absolutely i when we were talking about doing when doing this originally they i was i was really I, I was the, the Toad the Wet Sprocket album Fear was definitely in my list. I was like, oh man, maybe I should do that one because that was a huge record. I loved that record so much as a kid. Yeah. I, great. Well, I, was, I love I, it now. I, it's still a great album. I mean, it's such a great album. Yeah. We, uh, we, we did an episode on Dulcinea to celebrate the 25th anniversary of that. And well, my co host wasn't, uh, wasn't wasn't uh, a big fan of that record oh really okay well you know what they i actually i actually have a toad the wit sprocket reference in one of my songs oh really which yeah. one it's nice. a song called audition and uh, oh there's a line in it that says and do you remember flying to heaven with toad or staying up late waiting for godot it's actually should be godot it says it sounds more like gato because uh the, the when i was at school there was a uh i was working uh crew you know like a running whatever i forget what they called it but uh i was working as a uh, a crew member for a play or for a version of sam okay. beckett's waiting for godot and the director of the play wanted it pronounced gado not 
Godot. So <laughs> that was like an inside joke because some people say, it's funny how you say Godot in the recording, you know, it's Godot. And I was like, well, I know that was an inside joke, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but there's that, there is a reference to Toad because we, we went and saw the fly from heaven tour. So you're off in never, never land. Couldn't wait for Peter Pan. When do you know it's never the same when you're on your own? And do you miss me and think about all the times you could have kissed me but never made a move now to be Audition is now my favorite song by you guys. <laughs> All right. All right. And Wayne, so Wayne, Wayne is cringing. He's like, oh, forget that. Oh, no. They're, they're not. The, it's just uh, I thought they were a little soft. I mean, but there was – I didn't – I didn't – I didn't – it's not like they were Toto or something. <laughs> oh, Toto. Yeah, you guys got a real thing with Toto, don't you? Yeah, yeah we'll we'll get we'll get there, Scott. Uh, it's coming up in just a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was just I was trying to set him up. I was trying to segue him early, but I All couldn't right. get him. Well, we can we can we can do the segue. So, Scott, what's your what's your opinion of Toto's Africa? Good or bad song? Oh man, yeah, it's. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm I'm not I'm not particularly. It's not my favorite song. But I, I will say, I do believe that song has merit. And if it was like, throw it in the garbage or put it on a shelf, I prefer to put it on a shelf. Um, I think it's, I like that song from Toto's catalog better than like Rosanna. Uh, we had a, yeah. we had a sound guy that worked, we worked with for a while that we, um, he, he came on for a leg of a tour and it wasn't really working out, but he, he, dialed in every room that we played by blasting Rosanna by Toto. Oh. And we were like, Oh my God, <laughs> you know, any feelings that we had about that band were like, we really, now it's, it's this man's not helping how we feel about, about this band. <laughs> we're like, couldn't right. you pick any other song? I don't know that Africa would have been any better if he had said, Oh, let me play that one instead. And I'll, I'll dial the room in with that song. But you know what that you've got to say, there's some redeeming qualities to like all that cool synth. Some of that synth is awesome. I actually listened to that song because I heard about your beef. Like you guys have like a thing with it. So I started listening to it and I was immediately brought back to that, like that 80s synth. It just sounds like all of the soundtracks of those like John Hughes movies. It's got such a cool, I mean, it's, it's for a time and a place and it's not for everybody. And it's been killed by a lot of people at karaoke bars, but you know, it's (laughs) yeah, there's, there was a zeitgeist. What can we do? You know, I would still say keep it. I've got no beef. The beef, the beef <laughs> is with my co-host. Okay. I, you know what? I was willing to let it. You're the one who brings it up every week. I, I would. Well, I would say, I would have to say at that point, I would, I would, I would say I'm more for the song than against it. That's for sure. Okay. Yeah. I think that there's merit there. Yeah. There's, there's, 
There's some good stuff. You know what? And you know what? Hey, Wayne, wait till you see him yes. live, man. That's what's going to make all the difference. <laughs> You're going to see it live. Yeah. Be like, I hated that song, but then I saw him live and it all made sense. It clicked. Actually, if he saw, so I, I saw them last year live for, for the first time. Cause I was like, I, 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 I gotta go. I gotta go see him, you know? Sure. Um, and, uh, I don't think seeing them live because they turn, they turn Africa into like a, you know, a nine minute song. Lenny Castro does a whole percussion, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Oh, I see. I, I would say it's a drum solo, but it's Lenny is using all sorts of different drums and percussion on that. So, okay. Um, so they're making a real meal out of it. Yeah, so I I would say that that would not turn Wayne into a fan of Toto, <laughs> but that's the that's just my opinion on that. All right, All right. well let's 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 jump into the record that you chose. So sure. uh, Scott Scott, tell us what record you chose for this episode. And I chose REM's Automatic for the People. All right, so you also said Fear from Toad was uh, on your short list. Yeah, um, and what else was on the short list? Um, well, you know what, I was I wasn't sure again how you because you know your guys' show is sort of new to me, but I I was thinking because I wasn't sure if I should pick something that's like to with to be more critical of or to have something that was uh, you know, really sentimental and I, which ultimately I leaned into the sentimental and just said, you know, I just love this record. So, which was very hard to score. So I agreed to do that, that this would be the record and then figured out the scoring stuff, which made it very difficult. But, uh, but I, I, I remember thinking, uh, the new radicals, maybe you've been brainwashed too. that record. I thought about doing, uh, Tom Waits, small change, which is a, was a, big record for me um in high school and in early college and i still i mean still to this day i but i didn't want to get into dividing an audience of people there's a lot of people who are like old tom waits fans and then new tom waits fans they, they like the new stuff they don't like the old stuff and i i thought i'd keep keep out of politics with that one and just <laughs> just say you know what I'm, I'm gonna stay away from that he can do no wrong by me and uh but yeah this record is a really important record it was one of those records for me that as a kid i remember being a junior in high school and my older brother had just gone to college so and that was where i first heard it i heard rem's automatic for the people when i went to see my brother for sibs weekend uh, at west virginia university in morgantown and that was like the first time I got to go and like stay with my brother without my parents and that record he was playing playing the hell out of it and it was just changed everything was this the was this the first rem record that you heard no my brother was my brother was a fan of rem and i remember being really jealous he had gotten to see them on their the green tour and so he you know and uh, i think you know everybody at that time i mean they were already a huge band the out of time record was everywhere and you know it had that whole rock the vote thing that went along with with out of time and um do you guys remember that? Yeah. Remember? Oh, yeah. I actually referenced it in the first song. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah. It's. Yeah. So I. I knew. You know. I. I knew who they were, and you know, everybody loved losing my religion, and I. I did, but yeah, that record. It just kind of. It was lightning in a bottle for me, like this. You know, striking at the right moment of. You know, I had just sprouted that the summer that summer going into my junior year because I I was I. I, I definitely like sprouted later, you know, 
I remember being, I was a singer. I always sang and I, I was a soprano too in ninth grade. Whereas, oh, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I was a late bloomer in that, in that regard. And then, but that summer going into junior year, I remember having, having my growth spurt and, you know, starting to feel like a man and my brother had left and I was the, now the oldest kid in the house. And, uh, yeah. So ha- having all those feelings that teenagers have and, and this record sort of was like the Bible. So, yeah. yeah. I feel like this record is in my DNA. <laughs> that's, that's how much I love this record. And when, when, whenever people ask me, so who's your favorite band? And, and, you know, I've, I've always said my favorite band to see live is Wilco, but I don't always listen to Wilco records. Okay. But I've told people for years that I think my favorite band is REM because I always go back to REM records. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I was just listening to Green today. You know, I'll, I'll pull out Murmur. I'll pull out Life's Rich Pageant. And, um, you know, with Monster being 25th anniversary of Monster, I, I listened to Monster again. And, and I know that there's a lot of REM fans that will probably argue with me that, you know, there's a pre-IRS and, you know, post-RIS, uh, you know, with the, the whole Warner Brothers stuff. Mm-hmm. and Yeah. I'm both. I can I can put my toes in both of those waters. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I guess you know I I'm I'm right with you on that. And I think that I mean every everyone has their favorites. You know where they like this is this was like my sweet spot where I really did nothing but like listen to these guys and suck the marrow out of every album. You know, uh, mm-hmm. but they to think about how especially those earlier records that you just named like what else was going on musically at that time? And those guys were making that music. I sometimes think, you know, when you, you forget, you know, it's easy to forget. You just listen to things and they become a classic, you know? And again, like, I don't mean to keep, I don't want to keep using the word zeitgeist throughout this podcast, but, (laughs) but I mean, losing my religion was humongous. And then this record was the follow-up record to that. And there are songs on this record that also became, you know, they had their own zeitgeist. I mean, everybody knows everybody hurts and, and these songs. And it's like, I don't know, to me, to me, like to think about what else was going on musically, like during that time period, you know, like it was not like Paula Abdul and MC Hammer were like, overlapping these guys on tour right you know what i mean like that's crazy to me that 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 was happening and there's very few records that i go back to and think like listen to that have that sort of you know just musical purity the way some of their music does you know like i think about peter gabriel's so like that was a record that came out in 1986 i can't believe that record came out in 1986 you know there's very few things that i can think stand the test of time the way you know in this particular case, REM does, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they're such reluctant rock stars too. And I've always liked that. Yeah. You know, they always seem like, Oh, well, you know, I guess <laughs> like they didn't, they didn't glitz it up. And then when you don't expect them to glitz it up, Mike Mills comes out wearing like a nudie suit jacket and looking like a cool, you know, I just, that monster tour. I remember that and seeing him. And it was amazing. Um, Mike Mills is my favorite REM dude. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's, he's my guy. He's my guy. Um, yeah. all right. Um, 
What uh, else? Oh, what else? What I, else do we want to say before we jump into the oh, record about I, hold on. Because I've got notes, but I was dri- I was driving, so I was just leaving myself like little mini notes. What I think is really one of the things a lot of people don't talk about is what you know, like the actual title "Automatic for the People" and where that comes from. Yep. You know, and to be a fan of the band, if you know you 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 look for that and you find it, and you know that that was a. a a slogan of the restaurant Weaver D's in Athens, Georgia. And we took a pilgrimage and went there and got to eat there and got to meet Weaver D himself. And, you know, at that time, I mean, it's been so long since the record had come out that like he had like old posters that were, it looked like they had been relaminated a time or two that were still like taped to the wall with, you know, uh, electric tape. And I actually, asked him for a poster if he still had any for sale and he didn't he said just the one on the wall so our band actually bought the poster off the wall oh wow yeah so we have the weaver d's automatic y'all which is the cover of his book and uh yeah that was his expression so i don't know did you guys know that i don't want to spoil you guys telling your listeners anything but i i watched the documentary that they did it's about a like 20 25 minute documentary that came out at the 25th anniversary a couple of years ago. And oh, cool. they talked to, yeah, they talked, they talked about where, where they got the, uh, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I never saw that. So tell me, please. Yeah. Yeah. Me. So if you, so if you ask, if you ask for a side, can I get a side of ranch automatic? That's yep. the, I mean, that, 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 that's what they say. Yeah. Um, so they're like, Oh, this is automatic for the people, which, which is really, <laughs> this is where I think the, 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 a lot of the tongue in cheek is for the band is this record I feel is a little bit of a departure from out of time. And so to, so to say that this is automatic for the people, for the people who bought, you know, out of time because they, they liked shiny, happy people and losing my religion. And now you're getting this record, which is in my opinion is, is very different. Oh yeah. But I love it. Oh yeah. And, and, and this is one, one of the reasons why I, I love REM is that they, they didn't stay in a formula. What? Yeah. Like you, like if you listen, if you listen to the next record monster, it's a complete departure from automatic for the people. So if people were buying, you know, this particular album because they loved man on the moon they bought monster and they're like, what the hell is this? Right. You know? Sure. Well, but here's the thing, kind of like if I can, if I could jump in on that, like, I, I think, you know, you'll hear, you know, I think that they're an amazing band for, for many, many reasons, but one of which is they know how to make a really amazing studio album. And this is one of my favorite records. And this is something I can listen to all the time. Even if I don't feel like listening to it, if someone puts it on, I want to listen to the whole thing. And, but I don't know that this would, if you went to see a live show that you'd say, Oh man, like I, I love listening to these guys and I can't wait to hear them play, you know, New Orleans instrumental number one. And like, I can't wait to hear Monty got a raw deal. (laughs) Like they're not like live. They just don't have quite the punch. So I, I think that they had some hits on the record that were, I'm sure went over really great live, but it's funny to me that when you have more of a melancholy album like this, that I think is just beautiful. Maybe some of the fans 
that were like really into like the B-52s connection, shiny, happy people, that high energy, the people who love stand and, you know, the more quirkier side of REM, they might've been like, oh man, like this is like record such a downer. And yeah. And so what did they do that they, they then answered with monster that is like total rock and roll. You know, that's, I don't know. I, I think it seems it's, you hear stories like that, you know, or bands that are like, Oh, I made like a really chill record. And then it didn't go over as well live. Like I remember hearing the same thing about Billy Joel that like his early stuff, which is like, like, you know, love you just, or just the way you are. And then, you know, he starts playing arenas and stadiums and he's like, how do I make something? Nobody wants, it doesn't sound as good in this room. And he's trying to fill the energy for that room. And then he's writing songs like big shot. And, you know, he starts make, you know, I I think it's an interesting thing. I wonder how, you know, and maybe these guys are like, we don't care. We're going to do whatever we want anyway. But I, I just think it's neat to see how, you know, the ebb and flow of like, where things push you 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 have an itch to scratch and when when you scratch it you want to okay let's go somewhere else you know um and on the automatic you know weaver d conversation i think it's really cool that i I can't speak for that i think it's i really want to watch that little documentary that you that you saw um but when we asked weaver d we talked with him you know he said He's because I asked him, I said, we want to buy the book. And he said, you got to go to a bookstore. I don't have any more copies because we were like, oh, man, I wanted you to sign a copy of the book. And he wound up signing the poster that we bought. Uh, but I said, well, what, what's it all mean? And he said, automatic. He said, people don't have time. They come in, they got they got to get to lunch and they got to get back to work. They don't have time. So they got to come in and all that food's pre-made. It's all ready to go. So like you walk through almost like a cafeteria, like I want this, I want that, I want that. And it's like, boom, automatic, boom, automatic, right on the plate. There you go. Go sit down and eat your yeah. food. And I just thought that was so cool that those guys, yeah, like when you wonder well, what makes you love this band, that they remember that college kids eating at like the locals place and being like, yeah that somehow makes sense after they had like the zeitgeist of losing my religion on the last record and they're bigger than ever. I just think it's, yeah. I don't know if it was all supposed to be ironic or not, but it, I, I daydream about that kind of stuff and makes me love them so much. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get some bio info on this record before we jump into it. So this is the eighth studio album by REM came out October 5th of 1992. Uh, again, follow up to the really big record out of time uh, that, of course, had Losing My Religion that we talked about. This sold 18 million copies worldwide. Wow. Yeah. So it was it was a it was it was a big record as well. Um, and since we've done this on other episodes, I looked at where this record is on Rolling Stone's top 500 records of all time. Anyone want to make a guess <sighs> at uh, the number? Hmm. Uh, 324. Scott, I'm going to give him more credit though. I'm going to say 163, 249. Ah, okay. <laughs> right in the middle. Yeah. 249. <laughs> um, and I, and I'm questioning Rolling Stone because 248 is the shape of jazz to come from Ornette Coleman, who I have no idea who that is. Um, Grateful Dead Live Dead is at 247. The Mothers of Invention Freak Out is at 246. And Jerry Lee Lewis All Killer No Filler 
is at number 245. Mm. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. M- oh, and Eminem, the Marshall Mathers LP, is at 244. Wow. So yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> so we we've questioned Rolling Stones uh top top five hundred many times. Uh any any guesses what the highest charting REM record on the Rolling Stone five hundred is? Uh I would Fables of the Reconstruction. Not even on there. Wait, there oh, there would you say that ask tell me the question one more time. It's the, the So so the 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 top the 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 highest position on the top 500 for an rem record hmm. gotta be reckoning nah, reckoning also not on there uh murmur, murmur. yeah is number 197 wow out of time is not on the 500 document is at 462 hmm. so there you go murmur well that was it what was that 1983 so like 83. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 82, 83. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. I'm not going to knock them for that. Good for them. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into this. So as a reminder, our scoring is going to be based on the number of record, uh, number of songs on the record. So Wayne, how many songs on this record? 12, which means our top song going to get 12 points. Next favorite 11 on down to lowest score of one. Here we go. Start it off. This is drive. Drive, of course, would be the lead single off of this record, uh, released uh, October 1st of 92, peaked at number 28 on the Billboard Hot 100, but number one on the Modern Rock Charts and the Album Rock Tracks Chart, which I don't think either one of those exist anymore, but you know, <laughs> okay. Um, the title itself, he uh, he said that uh, it, he got it from the the motor voter bill. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. There was lots of them. Lots of States were putting those in at the time Yeah, or trying yeah. to. How cool is that? That's great. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Um, and, uh, let me, let me see if you guys can figure this out. So, um, and you probably cheated Wayne cause you probably did some research, but where he says, Hey kids, rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Where, 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 uh, who, who is he paying homage to? Oh, so that's a good. Uh, I was I, gonna say, hey kid, we say because so uh, okay. I had a different note to make about that as a kid listening to that because that that particular line for me was like the first time I heard someone say, "Hey kid, rock and roll" in a non cheesy way, 
only because I remember the movie Dream a Little Dream that had come out, the Corey Haim, Corey Feldman movie, and Michael Damien had this song. That's what I was just had that say. song rock yeah. on, but that was apparently a cover. A cover. Somebody else. Yeah, and for whatever reason, I'm drawing a complete blank on the guy who actually like sang Shannon. it. Uh, and all I can think of is it's uh, David Essex. There you go, David. <laughs> all I can think of is Michael Damien, and I'm like, I know yeah. that's not. I know that's. Yep, Michael Damien, the soap opera star, also. Yeah, young and the restless. That's right. Is he on the top 500? I wonder. Uh, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> probably not. Who knows, man? Uh, we got to check. We'll have to check. Uh, well, all right. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll Google that later. All right. Later. Yeah. What do you guys have to say about, uh, about drive? So political song with the name, with the title being from the, you know, a reference to motor voter laws that were being passed around different States. When you read it, it doesn't seem political. And, and if you and it doesn't necessarily sound political, but in 1992, it felt much more political. I mean, it'd been. I mean, when it was written, I'm going to say during it was probably during the 92 election. We'd had 12 years of a of a of a Republican president, and it and it has a feel. But what I, the one thing about it though is it's definitely a calling out the younger generation to do better, at least. And I love. I mean, I I kind of focused somehow on the intro and that that guitar riff he plays with the bass notes over the top of those higher notes it has a real like high noon showdown kind of feel to it which i thought was yeah like super appropriate for calling out the younger generation very like, much you know meet, yeah meet me in the streets high noon where you know you've you got there's stuff to do yeah it felt very showdown well said that's really i i could i completely agree completely agree and that motor voter bill, like that stuff, like to those listening out there, like I'm, I'm an audiophile geek, especially with this band. And that like, you can look on eBay and those old early nineties, like when you'd go to Sam Goody in the, in the, in the, the mall that remember, like they built those boxes that the yeah. CD, even though the CD only took a small part of the box, they made those big boxes because they were trying to reuse the actual, the record you know, the record cases that no one right. buying uh, yeah. records anymore. So they're like, Oh, well you can put two of these in the same spot where you'd have a vinyl record and we'll make them stand up tall. But those boxes on the back, they had that part that you could cut out for the whole rock, the vote, like motor voter bill where they're like, send this in. And that's, and that was like, I couldn't know that's like the greatest thing. And those things, if you can find them, they are, they're very valuable, very valuable, huge piece of rock and roll memorabilia. And and like and politics, you know, so I think that like this song being that first song to answer the the call of that last record, I think was yeah. I see that's how that's what I hear when I hear the. It's like a calling calling all young kids, you know, and uh, and that's how I felt when I heard yeah. it. So so just go to the first line. So Wayne, you talked about the last twelve years under Reagan and Bush. The first line is smack, crack, bushwhacked. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it's totally to the rack. T- totally, totally a political song. Have you guys heard the live version, the the sped up, more electrified version of this? No, I haven't. Oh, you got some homework to do. I, 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 I have. <laughs> I actually I've heard I've I've heard it, but not I haven't focused on it as much. Um, yeah, there's 
because there's a you have available on iTunes. They have like the the 25th anniversary one that's got a bunch of those live yeah. tracks and stuff afterward. Yeah, it's um, I, I'll have to go back and re-listen to it. Do you, what do you think of the version? I like it. I like both versions. Um, I do like the 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 sped up, more electrified. I don't know. So at at times, I've I've kind of felt like this this particular song um, kind of seems a little too morose. Uh, I and I love this song just like I say the way it is because I think it it just it's it's perfect. I, his his uh, he I may I may make a comment on another song about how Bill, Peter Buck is not the guy I think of when I think of guitar player. But as I listen to this, especially with an acoustic guitar, he 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 really know he can really find the right sound for a song. And I think this song with its you know its call to arms you know showdown thing he he really does this great like i say it's not it doesn't necessarily sound western but it it has some sort of these these elements in it you know that that whistling sound in a western movie kind of thing that the vibe that it evokes and i and i just couldn't see changing this is one of my favorite rem songs and i i just i love a couple of the lines too i mean how how i, I how interesting is it that every generation cuz we were this generation actually ben and i were you know, not very far removed from high school when this came out, you know, getting our, we were still part of that generation. And it's funny how no one can tell you what to do or where to go. Every, every generation, it's the same. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me where to go. And I like the reference to rock around the clock. I think that was kind of a call back to our parents that listened to that. Right. Yeah. The whole Bill Haley, like, yeah, it's really, yeah. And then he, you know, he's got these lines where he's saying, you know, like maybe you're crazy in the head and bushwhack, tie another one to the rack. And then he's like, Ollie, 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 like the old Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. He's just like, it's, yeah. he, he's got a really amazing way of throwing, you know, uh, a pretty intense image and then like follows it right up with like something kind of childish and, and kid like. It's, uh, he's, and, and another thing about this song, which at the time, it really resonated with me more than I remember now. Cause I mean, as I've gotten older, you hear a lot of records and you'll hear studio uh, sounds, you know, where you'll hear like people leaving in the whole, like, you know, the open mics and the noise and the people chattering before a song starts. You hear that a lot now, but at the time I remember not that, that was, this record was one of those first records where, I really paid attention to that, like hearing them talking. And like when you put that record on, you actually hear that chatter first before the song kicks in. And there's a few songs throughout the record where you hear that to, to sort of remind everybody that like, Hey, we're just in a studio making this record. You know, it's, it's which for whatever reason gave it at the, and especially at the time it gave it more of a homemade intimate feel. And, you know, so I, I loved that they left that stuff in. And make yeah. it, it made such a such a extra. It, it helped make me love it so much more. So you hear that stuff, and and it's actually a really sonically, it is a really great record. It is not lo-fi. You know, anything that sounds lo-fi is intentionally, you know, put that way in a very high-fi way. But like they ha- they added those little moments in there. It sounds so cool. You you definitely need to go watch that documentary now. Okay. <laughs> Because they talk about um, making this particular song. So th- they recorded this in multiple studios. They recorded this in Daniel Lanois' studio in New Orleans. 
Oh wow! And, okay, and awesome. recorded it. The, recorded it the day after Fat Tuesday. All of them were hungover, <laughs> and they did this in ten takes. And Michael is Daniel wanted to get different different sounds to this. So like Peter is outside playing the guitar, and Michael is like upstairs. Um, in like this little telephone booth type area. And so, so when you hear all those other sounds, it's because everything is totally bleeding into the recording. Itself. Oh, wow. Yeah. So anyways, go, go watch that documentary. I will. It I'm is, definitely going. Yeah. Through. It's, it's, it's definitely a good use of, you know, 20, 25 minutes. So, um, Anyways, all right. I think we've spent enough time on drive. Let's, right. let's get some scores. Yeah, sorry. On. No worries. So, Scott, your your score? My score was, I gave this one a seven. All right. Wayne? Eleven. This is one of my favorite REM songs. All right. And I'm, uh, I'm matching Scott's seven as well. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's so, it, it's so hard with these because they're all, I mean, I change, I change these around, you know, multiple times because they're 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 so they're all so great so it's like just depending on the mood you know but uh yeah it's such a it's a great record great great song start it it wouldn't be an episode if our guests didn't say what you just said (laughs) okay good so it's 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 all good all right second song this is try not to breathe to breathe I can hold my head still with my hands and my knees his eyes are the eyes of the old shivering and bold I will try not to breathe this decision is mine I have lived a full life these are the eyes that I want you to remember Something to fly over my grave I need something to breathe. What you got on Try Not to Breathe? This record and the vibe of the entire record and the melancholy of the whole record. I mean, because it, it, it runs throughout, but this song was like the real like punch in the gut song for me. To hear Drive, that's the intro song, and then to go right into this song where he's his lyrics, he's literally saying like trying to not breathe and to holding his hands, uh, you know, hands is at his knees and uh, talking about needs something to fly over over my grave, and yeah. I just I remember uh, again being a kid and a aspiring young writer and. Uh, and, and being like, man, this, this guy is like really dark. And my brother liked the Smiths and Morrissey and, and I, he liked REM, but I remember being like, wow, like the shiny, happy people. Like, this is, this is definitely not that. Like, this is like, this is some dark stuff. And, and it, you know, and it made me feel like maybe, maybe we, you know, again, as a listener who just was devoted to the band, I felt like, wow, like maybe I, maybe these are dark times, you know? Um, I just thought it was really beautiful. And it, and it, looking back on it now, after hearing the record so many times, you know, that he had such a, a voice 
you know, uh, such a unique way speaking to people that might have had, you know, suicidal thoughts or whatever, you know, like these, he just makes everybody feel, you know, these things like where he's saying, like, I have lived a full life. This decision is mine. You know, I need something to fly over my grave again. I need something to breathe. You know, uh, yeah, just, you know, I shudder. I remember that when he, when he would say, I shudder to breathe and dare me, don't dare me to breathe. It was like, so it just, yeah, it, it just knocked me out. Never, I remember just thinking like I never heard anything, never heard anyone put it just like that. I and I know that my score is not going to reflect that I that I like this song. The 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 one element of this song that I love about REM is the fact that some of the chorus has Michael singing one part and then Mike singing another part. Mm-hmm. And how important is Mike Mills to this band? I mean, really, when you think about it, he's the only other voice you ever really hear. Um, and when he and they don't do harmonies all the time, but when they do, they he he, he knocks it out of the park. He shines uh, so brightly, and he's got because I think a lot of it's because he has such a different voice than Michael Stipe. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and it but it, and it always sounds it it, it never sounds um, it just always sounds so honest and simple. Uh, it always feels like. Yeah, he he's he just knows he's got it like less is more and it's always right in the pocket where it needs to be and it always seems to just it, it just makes Mike Michael Stipe's voice stand out so much and his he he is I have thought about that as I've listened to this record again you know kind of just preparing for our talk where he just has such a unique voice and the way he delivers certain things it's it's a singular uh presence you know he needs very little. And I think about that a lot, that there's not a ton of other background vocals and doubling going on with him in general, just because he has such a unique sound and voice. Um, so, and when it does come in, it, it's like just enough. And yeah, that's Mike Mills, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Wayne, any, any last thoughts on uh, try not to breathe before we get some scores? Yeah. I love that it has this, and I don't know if this seems like maybe an oxymoron, but it has a subtle, but strong, like Celtic folk vibe to it in, in the, in the guitar, but he, and it's, and it also reminded me because there's that line that says, are, are these the eyes that I want you to remember made me feel like it almost like assisted suicide, which at the time now it's called death with dignity. But at the time it was very controversial. You know, you have a terminal illness. This isn't how you want your family to watch you you know, wither away and die and remember you like that. And so like Dr. Jack Kevorkian was in the news. It was like a very controversial topic. And that line, just that line right after the two lines about this decision is mine and I have lived a full life. Then the line about not, this isn't, is this how I want people to remember me? It gave me that, that feeling, but the music creates such a conflict that matches the situation that he's singing about. And my score doesn't either. This, I gave this a five, and after this, there's a big drop off. This was the last of those of the songs that are really piled up towards the top together. Gotcha. I'm also giving it a five, and leave it to you to 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 give us a different angle. I never got the Kavorkian angle on this, but all right, thank you, Wayne. No, that's very cool. Yeah, Scott, Scott, what you got for a score? I gave this song um, again for for. There, there are sentimental reasons to all these things as well, but I gave this song a nine because it just, it just knocked me out. You know, it was, uh, it was, it, it was a song that always brought me into the record whenever I listen. I mean, drive is a great song, 
but it was always try not to breathe that always that always really got me in yeah. whenever I, when I listened. So yeah, I, I give it a nine. Cool. All right. Let's move on. Third third song is The Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight. Uh, I want to hear what you guys have to say about this song. <laughs> So my my score is not great. Uh, this is my second least favorite song on the record. Really? Yeah i I just never have really liked this song. And this was actually <laughs> this was actually their third single off this record. Do you guys remember mm-hmm. ever hearing this on on the radio? I do. I do. Yeah, actually. around here on the on the local alternative station. Okay. Yeah. Because I was stuck in the middle of nowhere, Idaho in february of 93 when this came out as a single and i don't ever remember hearing it on the radio anyways yeah um and and stipe um one interview that i saw of him he he said that uh the up-tempo songs on the record not his favorite um but he admitted um while he was doing all this press for the 25th anniversary he said um i've been waking up lately to this song and yeah, it's catchy as heck. And he, well, he didn't say heck. I added that part, but um, he said it's super catchy, um, which I get. It is super catchy, but it just uh, for me, it just doesn't doesn't do anything for me. Did Did you hear that? Yeah. Because, because they thought that, and I don't. I don't necessarily hear uh, enough to get sued over. But they went in advance and asked for the uh, to give a song credit to the people who wrote "The Lion Sleeps Tonight," and they yeah. said, "Yeah, we'll do it if you do a cover of The Lion Sleeps Tonight," which I listened to, and they play it pretty straight up. But it's still fun to hear yeah. Michael Stipe and Mike Mills doing uh, "The Lion Sleeps Tonight." But I didn't think that it had enough musical similarities to have gotten sued over. But I thought that was pretty cool that they did it. Yeah, yeah, that is cool. Yeah, and I as a when this record was happening and for me in high school, I, I sang in like an acapella choir and we did the lion sleeps tonight. Cause that's what kids do in acapella groups. Sure. And <laughs> so to have a REM being like, Oh, they like did this like twist on the song. And there's that, you know, so it's, it's, you know, extremely intentional. I, I always thought it was, I didn't think it was like, Oh, this is kind of close. So maybe we should check. It always it seemed to me like, no, no, like we're going for that cultural reference and that's yeah. why we're leaning into it like that. And um, yeah, so my, yeah, and my score for this song isn't the greatest either. Um, I, yeah, I always felt like this song was sort of like, it's it's delivered in track three just because it's like, oh, hey guys, in case you fans that are into the shiny happy people and the stands <laughs> and you're looking for that, like don't don't give up hope yet on this record. Like, you know, it's, it's put in there like a little piece of candy for those people who, you know, are looking for the lower hanging fruit. But I think it's like, 
but I go, I go and back and forth about it, but like this song, uh, I think lyrically, I still don't know what it means after all these years. I, I've tried to wrap my mind around what it could possibly mean, but some of the, vi- the references and the, vi- like the visual imagery he gives with yeah. the, the stuff he says, like I find so strong, like I'd never actually drank Nescafe and ice, but it sounds he makes it sound amazing. And like <laughs> hearing him, you know, and again, like I know this, we've got to watch how we say these, some of these things on this podcast, but there's that line where, where he's saying, you know, um, you know, tell her she can kiss my, you know, and then, and then laugh and say that you were only kidding and she'll know that it's really, really me. Like it's such a, like a lighthearted song and there's, it's so lighthearted that, and this is one of the things I love about this song is when he says things like, uh, the sub sub substantial, he screws it up and it's like sub stub and they, they left it in. And then when he says, Dr. Seuss, yes. you can hear he, him. He, laugh he, he, he just, you just hear him laughing. He breaks up and it's like, they were like, no, that's perfect. Just keep it like that's, and that's the kind of stuff that you're like, oh man, you know, it's, it's more about capturing something than doing it perfect. And uh, yeah, so you heard it. We, I, I heard it and it was like, just makes you love them so much for it. Like they don't take themselves that serious. Yeah, that that's my favorite part of the song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stipe said he always loved Doctor Seuss, but always pronounced his name wrong. Zeus. He always said Zeus, so it was Doctor Zeus, <laughs> which he tried really hard apparently to say it the correct way, and he screwed it up, and they just laughed it and off think, and left it in. I, I love it. I think it. they yeah, they think they said that Mike Mills was in the uh, in the the recording box with him and he started and he started to make fun of him and he started laughing because he, he brought, he pointed it out like right at the spot. But what I love about this song is like a lot, most, a lot of REM songs, Michael Stipe, just like Michael Stipe has this, there's varying degrees of ambiguity. So there's not, it, this one's a little more focused. It's, I feel like it is a little bit darker, uh, even more, you know, shiny, happy people and stand are not songs that are some of my probably my two least favorite REM songs, Agreed. except for one of the songs on this record. <laughs> this has a darkness. If you look at it, I mean, this and it for different reasons, it paints this really vivid picture for me, like the the talking about the pay phones, which I know the kids out there don't remember a day, but in like train stations and bus stations and hotels and airports and and casinos, you'd have a bank, a wall of pay phones. And this, mm-hmm. I, for whatever reason, the way the, some the lines in the song, I just see this, these runaway kids sleeping under the payphones at a, at a bus station. Their parents are trying to find them. That's the reference to the calls and they'll know it's me. There's that line in the, the whole thing about the Dr. Seuss is what kind of makes it seem like teen runaways, that reference to your childhood and it being gone. And the idea that, you know, sleep standing up and, uh, there's also some rep and the references to, you know, the needing something more substantial to eat and a can of beans or black eyed peas. And, and like a Nescafe is like this unbelievable treat. If you could get it over ice, all of that just paints this incredible picture for me out of, and, and, and somebody else would listen to the song and pr- maybe get something completely different, but the way he, he just like Jackson Pollock, he just throws these big, these big broad strokes out and then it all you just focus in on the parts that you relate to and you you form this picture i always got a very like a camping kind of vibe to it even even though it, it's like or wherever they're staying is this place that doesn't have electricity or, or something you know like because they're saying you know the place doesn't have a phone there's a pay phone you should call let it ring a long long time and and that 
you know, the side winder, which is, you know, like it's a rattlesnake. So like, I don't know what they're saying, but like, you know, he's talking about that and he's talking about instant soup and Nescafe, which is a powdered beverage. So like, these are things that like add water, you know, like it's just, it sounds like in a candy bar, a falling star. It's like, are you camping out somewhere? Is like that, where, where are you? You know, like, that's what I always think. I'm like, they're, they have no roof overhead or wherever, wherever they are, whatever, wherever they're crashing at. And, um, but again, like I had a, I had a professor in college and he, one of the things that he, we all had professors in college, but this professor, he was a playwright professor named Charles Smith. And one of the things I always took away from him was that he said, like, whenever you're writing that, you know, the, what, what separates your story from somebody else's story and what keeps a story from being a vanilla story are those details are the small things like they are important. They are so important in painting a picture and that's, what's going to make your picture different from somebody else's. So to hear him say, yeah, like the black eyed peas and the Dr. Seuss and candy bar and Nescafe and like these weird images and the scratches around the coin slot, like a heartbeat. I mean, I don't, it's like, that's just some, it's just some of my favorite images. It's so wacky. So, but, and that being said, my, I feel like my score doesn't reflect it after I just went on and on about it, but. <laughs> so let's get some scores. So I, All right. so I guess this isn't a happy song. Is that what you're telling me? I, I think it's, I th- I don't know that it's, it's, it's a little, there's darkness underneath it. Like there is, there is some, some darkness to it over these kind of this real happy, uh, up, up tempo, you know, the way he's saw, sound, it ultimately there is a little bit of darkness underneath it. Yeah. It gives it depth. Unlike Toto's Africa. <laughs> On that note. All right. Wayne, <laughs> your score. I gave it an eight. And then Scott, oh, I gave it a five. And this is where you guys boo me. So I give it a two. <laughs> You're ridiculous. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny is I just can't even imagine which of the two songs that I have at the bottom that it beat out. Uh, well, well, <laughs> we'll we'll chat. All right, uh, here's everybody hurts. This was their fourth single, fourth single. And if you want to hear the the demo version of this on the deluxe version, you can find it titled Michael's Organ. There you go. Oh, wow. So, Scott, you brought up the fact that that everybody heard this song. So where do you think it landed yeah. on the Billboard Hot 100? Where where was peak position? Uh I feel like they were in the top 10. 
at the time with the song. I felt like it was everywhere. I might be wrong. 29. Really? I was, wow. I was completely shocked by that because I was like, this had to have been a top 10 record. I mean, it was on yeah. It was on MTV like every hour. It really was. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember that video constantly yeah. playing. That, and wow, that's interesting. What a cool, how cool is that video? I mean, it's great. the oh, idea, yeah. you know, for the whole reference of the song, because one of my criticisms, if you can call it that, is whereas I had just recently said, you know, there's varying degrees of ambiguity. This is narrow. This is clear cut what he's talking about and how right. how much of an equalizer is traffic like it doesn't matter who you are you're not going anywhere in this traffic jam and some of the really uh some of the the thoughts that are that that they have on the screen for the different people in the cars is very is is dark to say the least right well it, yeah and it's interesting because i sometimes i mean again they still play this song is still played a lot to you know, yeah. to this day. And I will go back and try to get as much use out of this word as I can. But the zeitgeist of the song became such a thing that like, after a while, you, you know, you, you get a little desensitized from it. And obviously, yeah, it's a wonderful song. It's a, it's a great song. I actually, this is one of the songs that I went really back and forth on my score with because like I, I felt like, oh my God, it's a great song. It's a timeless song. This is a classic. It's a, it's a modern classic. And and at the same time, I was like, right. But you know, you're like, I don't have much to say about it. Like Wayne just said, it's a, it's very on the nose. Like lyrically, it's on the nose. It actually makes me feel like I always compare this at the time when I was uh, one of the few bands that I love or groups I loved where my parents loved were Simon and Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. And this song always felt to me like this is Michael Stipe's like, Art Garfunkel bridge over troubled water <laughs> song, you know, and it, cause it's like, it, it, it was a big song and it, it was a brave song. Lyrically. It is a brave song saying all the stuff that he says. Um, and when you come, when you couple it with other songs on this record with like, try not to breathe or sweetness follows, it's like, wow. You know, and it's, he, um, we, we should all be thankful that Sidewinder sleeps tonight is right in between them, breaking it up, you know, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a beautiful song. Um, yeah. Lyrically, it's not my favorite song, but it, me- melodically it's great. And, and even, you know, again, to make a reference to that Simon and Garfunkel that, you know, I don't know, it, it could just be me and how I, how I heard it at the time and what I was listening to, but that second verse when Mike Mills is jumping in with the hold ons, you know, yes. um, that, that second, that second first, like sometimes everything now it's time to sing along when your day is night alone. It's like the hold on, hold on the way he does that. It, it just like, it sounds to me like Ceylon silver girl, sail on by from bridge over troubled water to me. So uh, that was, that's always, that's what I'll always think of when I think of the song. That's cool. For, 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 yeah, for better, or for worse. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so, so part of the vibe of this. So the, here's a, here's a quote from Peter Buck. Um, he talked about, um, originally Bill had brought the idea in. it was like a country Western song, but it didn't have a chorus or a bridge. Um, and then, it, then, uh, Peter says, we went through about four different ideas and how to approach it. And we eventually came to that Stax, Otis Redding, pain in my heart kind of vibe. I'm not sure if Mike, Michael would have copped that reference, but to a lot of our fans, it was a Staxy type thing. 
So there you go. Hmm. That's uh, the kind of wow. the vibe they were going for on that. Yeah, I totally see the the bridge over troubled water uh, comparison. Now, like I said, it really does have. I, I, I just hearing you say that, I never thought of that. But even even the kind of the whole theme of the song, there's a lot of similarities even that way. It's yeah. I, I never drew that comparison. That's uh, that's really cool. Yeah, like that. The, his whole thing of like you are not alone, you know. And 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 I will say also his. His delivery, like his vocal performance on this song is, I, I don't want it to be, to go unsaid. Like, I think what he did in this song was amazing. You know, I think it's a uniquely Michael Stipe delivery of a song that I don't think anybody else could have done like him. Yep. You know, he, he did, he did an amazing job on that song. So before we get some scores, so my, my, my favorite little side note about this do you guys remember the little Twitter uh, issue that they had with this song um, earlier this year? Was it? Oh, what? So, so President Trump, somebody had posted a Twitter video using this "Everybody Hurts" of a bunch of Democratic politicians with sad-looking reactions during Trump's State of the Union address. Oh wow! And and po- and somebody posted it to Twitter, and the REM official Twitter um, turned around and responded to it with "World Leader Pretend Congress Media Ghost This Faker Love <laughs> REM." <laughs> yeah. nice. So uh, nice. eventually, yeah. Twitter removed the video because there was a copyright complaint from the band's record label. So I don't know if that was caused by somebody in, uh, from REM or if it was just the, uh, um, the, the label itself, but I love it. I, I would almost, I would almost have to think that that's a label trying to get out of like political hubbub yeah. because I feel like if they had a hand in like, if, if someone called them and said like, Hey, you want us to do something about this? I feel like they'd say, leave it up. Yeah. Especially when you hear like, yeah, like ignore land. Listen to the lyrics of that one. Yeah. 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 Man. Yeah. yeah. We'll definitely get there. Yeah, we're getting there. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's get some scores. So Wayne. Uh six. And then Scott. I gave it an eight. And I gave it a nine because I just after listening to it again, this was one of those songs that I'm like, I got really sick of. But then it's been probably a good five, six, seven years since I've really listened to it. And I remembered why I love this song. So, yeah. Oh, can I just add one quick thing to this, yeah. too? Because this song has it a lot in there. And 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 as does the whole record. And I, you know, it came, this record came out at a time where, like, Guns N' Roses was, like, at the top of their game. Yeah. And, and, and there was that, I don't know what it is, where it's like, oh, you become a band that's humongous, and then you need to have an orchestra come and play music with you, because your your band can't do it enough. We have to have an orchestra come and play along with you, a giant symphony to make the sound humongous. And, and that's okay, and I'm a big fan of that, too. Like I, I'm a sucker for stuff like that. But whereas like Guns N' Roses did it, and I'm not going to knock some of the stuff, some of the stuff sounds great, but some of it is like a little more, you know, a little over the top. And I felt like this album, they brought the string element into this record and it, it's such a, they did it so tastefully, you know, you almost forget it's there. Like, it's just sort of like, oh, this is just sort of the color of this record. And I I would never go to see them 
perform and think, oh, wh- where's all the strings? Like, where is that? Right. They're, they're missing that, you know, like it, it but it, it's some, it just, it just cradles the stuff so well. And uh, I, I just, yeah, I wanted to make a reference to that, that the, t- they just, they tastefully, again, they're artful characters. They know how to, it's less is more, but they have it just enough to kind of come in and swell and just the right way. And it's, yeah, I, I was a big fan of that. I haven't even brought up the fact. So you guys know. I, yeah, I'm just going to say the, the guy who, the guy who uh, arranged the strings is uh, not, not too bad. Hasn't had too bad of a career. John Paul Jones. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Is that true? See, I didn't know that. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So. Wow, there you go. He's done okay. He's done all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's done all right for himself. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's go to wow. New Orleans instrumental number one. On the deluxe version, believe it or not, there is a version of that that's that I always thought that this was like a demo that they just threw on here. No, there's actually a demo version on the deluxe version. Um, oh, cool! And it's uh, it's called Pachyderm, and it's three minutes and thirty four seconds as opposed to two minutes and thirteen seconds that are on that's on this particular record. So, um, mm. and that's all I have for um, instrumental number one because. Um, <laughs> As our listeners know, instrumentals don't usually fare very well for our scores. So they almost knew your they knew your scoring already when the title of the number song. one, <laughs> exactly number one New Orleans instrumental number one. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I will say though, I do I do find it to be a critical song because it like listening to the album going from Everybody Hurts into sweetness follows directly would be almost too much. And that it gives like a nice breath after those four songs in a row, it gives a nice little moment to kind of, you know, let your mind wander for just enough. It's like, cause how long is it? It's like two, two and minutes, a half minutes, two, two minutes, yeah, 13 two, seconds. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Like it's over in just a, in, in a blip, but it's like, yeah, I don't have, I don't have much more to say other than I appreciate that they like gave a moment before sweetness follows it's a transition song absolutely yeah. yeah so wayne why is this why is why is this not your lowest score like scott and myself um the one that i you know what the one that got my lowest score i just i i, I, just, I don't know there was something there was lots of things wrong about it I, all i can say is this this what drove me crazy about this one though is number one, there's nothing New Orleans about it. There's no, I mean, give me some Zydeco, <laughs> make it Zydeco, give me some jazz. Let let me know why it's called New Orleans. It was recorded um, at Daniel Lanois Studio in New Orleans. Uh, that's why. Okay, well, that's at least some connection. I yeah. none of the, and it's not that they aren't. This is definitely a group of individuals. That's the 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 group is more important than the sum of its parts. None of them are really known particularly for their for how well they play their instruments. They're great. I mean, they're good. They're professionals. They don't. They are creative and everything, but this isn't, there's nothing exciting about this. And it, it's like at the beginning, it feels like the intro to a, maybe, a, a, maybe a good REM song. I'm not sure. And then about halfway after into it, it becomes a really long outro to a song 
that may be pretty good by REM. There you go. That's interesting. (laughs) That's an interesting interesting, uh, way to think about it. All right. Wayne, your score? I gave it a two, which, you know, in a lot of ways, getting the number two is, is worse than getting a number one. (laughs) all right on that note uh let's go to sweetness follows it's these little things they can pull you under live your life filled with joy and thunder yeah yeah we were all together Boston The, on the deluxe version, this is known as Cello Scud. That's so cool. That's what it's called on the deluxe version. There you go. For the demo version. I love this song. And uh, my my score, my score at the beginning of this when I first scored it was as high as an eleven. It that's not where I landed. I I did land at an at an eight for this. Um I just have always loved this song because I love the lyrics. It is beautiful poetry to me. And, um, you know, it's these little things that can pull you under, live your life filled with joy and thunder. It's just, I I love it. It's a, it's a great song. Um, yeah, I know it's a little bit morose. Um, at times it's a, it's a, I think it's a, a little bit of a darker song, but um, it's just, it's great. And, yeah. and I, I will say, I, I, I don't have strong, strong feelings against it, I guess. The thing that ultimately that got it to me is the, the verse part I get, it's very, it's almost got a funeral dirge feel to it. But the, and if I, I read the song correctly, then he's talking about all these deaths to, you know, close loved ones. And I yep. get this, but then, the sweetness follows part where he's supposed to sell it. Like, you know, there's, there's still life to live. I just, I guess I, and, and which is unusual because I think Michael Stipe usually sells it no matter what he's, what he's, you know, how he's delivering or what he's singing about. And in this case, he just, he just didn't, he didn't make me believe that there is that sweetness follows that there's, that there's going to be something to live for. But see that, Mm. that's why I, I love this song. I feel like it's, it's, it's sung from the from the vantage point of somebody who just buried a loved one, and there the the narrator singer is trying to essentially convince themselves that it's going to get better. Like I'm just having a really shitty day right now burying somebody, but you know what? Um, there's going to be joy and wonder. And the sun will come out tomorrow. Yeah, really. It, re- it really is. And look, I, I buried my dad this year. There were some dark days I'm where, sorry to hear that. yeah, thank you. And having the opportunity to, to write his eulogy, for instance, gave me opportunities to reflect on my relationship with him and what he meant to so many other people. And so there was that sweetness that followed that 
dark time where you got to celebrate somebody not just being sad because we just buried him, but we're celebrating what he has meant to us. So there is that sweetness follows. I like it from that vantage point where he's singing it from, from that dark place where he goes, I'm, I'm going to keep saying sweetness follows until there actually is sweetness. Hmm. That's well, yeah, it's interesting. I I think, I think he's, I also, I think he's, he's so, uh, you know, and in the, the morose way that he, he writes, I almost think that like when he says sweetness follows, I think he means it from both sides, you know, for the living and for the dead. Yeah. Like it feels that way to me. It reads that way to me. Like it's already there, you know, and, and yeah. his other lyrics as well, you know? Yeah. I, I also love this song. This is a song though. Like, again, I have my own, my own emotional triggers with this song, but this, this is the one, like when I think of this song and it wasn't until you said it, but like, again, like, I got I got this record on that Sibs weekend with my brother and he had it and he played it the whole weekend and he gave it to me when I, when I left to go back home so I got to take it with me and he said he'd get another one and the lines like this song just how you know like that 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 bowed bass in the beginning that like boom 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 it was so intense and then he, and you hear him say you know listen here my sister and my brother what would you think if you lost the other, you know, um, what's the line, you know, distance from one blind to the other, this thing of like leaving a place and my older brother, who is a hero for me, you know, giving me this record and I'm like soaking it in. And there was a thing of like, it's not going to be the same. I'm never going to live at home again. So I had like personal storyline for me that ties this to a, you know, a very ambivalent feeling that I had at the time. So it will always sort of register there in a spooky, eerie, but hopeful way, you know, yeah, beautifully said. Um, and just so you know, the, that what you think is a bass line, mm-hmm. that's, that's actually cello played through an amp. Oh, wow. See, yeah, it's yeah. so cool. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Should we get some scores? Do we do we sure. do we spend enough time on sweetness follows? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, it's no, gonna be an epic, no, epic was, session. Oh, it's totally <laughs> yeah, that was totally me as well. So, um, all right, so I, it's it's a nine for me. Or wait, okay, no, 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 it's an eight for me. Okay, Wayne, well, you make me out to be the prick here. I gave it a three. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we all and have for- our sidewinders. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, and for reasons like I just stated, it's an eleven for me. All right. Perfect. All right. Next song. And I think this is where you would have flipped over the record. So this is Monty. It is. Monty got a raw deal. I have it on vinyl as well. And yes, this is, this is tr- track one of side two. There you go. 
Uh, demo version on the deluxe listed as Bazooki song. Oh, so hmm. apparently there's That's a rad. apparently there's a Bazooki in this. Uh, <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah, um, and I a couple people have asked me if I could describe what a Bazooki is. I I can't describe it. It's like a guitar, but not really. Yeah, I was I was I I also can't give you a good answer on that. Other than guitar players that seem to like to play other instruments always seem to have one. Um, yeah. Carter Gravit of Carbon Leaf plays one. Yep. I, I was going to just say, I got to, <laughs> I got to ask Carter to tell me what, what explain what the bazooki is. So there you go. Yeah. Um, go. All right. What do you guys have to say about uh, Monty? Well, I knew right. Even I remember getting this album and knowing just from looking at it, that it was Montgomery cliff. And I, and I'm, I think that the, you know, Michael Stipe has, it has a lot of that. There's a lot of sexual ambiguity about him as well as like Montgomery Cliff. The first time I saw him in a movie, I was like, this guy has a James Dean vibe going on here. And it, and it, it's, so I don't, I can't say that that's necessarily, but that's the, where it went for me was this guy um, who, you know, who, who I don't know that he got a raw deal because this did make me look up what, what, what was the raw deal, but apparently he had a horrific car accident. And afterwards, because he was a pretty big star. Yeah. I mean, Red River and and uh, he had done, I think what he, he did, uh, From Here to Eternity, which is, the I think, the first movie I saw him in. I'm sure I watched Red River in the background as a kid. My dad loved Westerns. But he had a horrific car accident, Um he was so he got hooked on pain pills, and I guess he was difficult to work with. He was surly. He show, didn't show up, and so I don't know necessarily if it's a raw deal, but at the same time, Hollywood will push stuff at you to keep you going. So is it really, you know, maybe maybe it is a bit of a raw deal? But I, I think to me there was always a connection of that James Dean, Michael Stipe, Morrissey, um, that sexual fluidity that does at the, in 1992 was not as accepted as it is today. Right. Yeah. I think that's reflected in the chorus. Um, you know, you don't want this sympathy. Don't, don't you waste your breath. Um, so I think that that's, that's Michael. I think Michael is, is, um, you know, he's projecting a little bit onto, to Monty. Um, cause I, I think that there was some frustration for a number of years of, you know, people talking about well is he is he or is he not gay and it's like care yeah that was the thing there was assumptions made i think and then then i believe that there was a lot of trying to prove it yeah. and ultimately that's that's got to be difficult no matter no matter right. what yeah that's interesting scott what you got on monty anything you know again yeah i i also ha- i got the reference um i didn't at the time when i was a kid you know, when I first, I didn't know what that was in 1992. I just took the song for, you know, the, it being the story that it was. And, um, you know, so it, it, it makes more sense and means more to me know, knowing that story. Uh, but it, you know, and it's a song that I, again, I like it. The score will not reflect it. Um, I just, yeah, I just think that there's a richness in some of the other stuff that this one for me was always like, well, you know, um, I, I like it. I, I always, you know, my favorite part of this song was heroes don't come easy. You know, that's just a cool line. It, it's got great lines in every song, but yeah, for this one, I, 
Yeah, I, w- I wound up scoring this one with a, with a three. Okay. Wayne, what's your score? And I gave it a four. I think I, th- I don't, it's almost like he got too personal to him mm. and, and it lost something somewhere in the translation. Okay. Well, I give it a three, but don't, don't for one second think that that's because I don't like the song. It's just way too many others that are yeah. ahead of it. Yeah, there's two. Exactly. Yeah. This, this thing yeah. is stacked. Yeah, it really um, is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Leads us to the, the, um, the spleen venting. I think that that's the, isn't that the, that's what he says. The yeah. Spleen yeah. venting song. Yep. Ignore land. I love this song. I do too. I do too. Yeah. This is like punk rock political. This is, this is scathing. I just, I love this song. I, my score there with, with the album with so many good songs. Um, the score doesn't reflect how much I really me, me like too. this song. Me too. And some, just some of the lines, yeah, a lot of the lines um, referencing, you know, the summer of 79 would have been the height of the campaign uh, where we, you know, we, the where here it comes, we're about to start another, you know, we're about to start a 12 year run of Republicans. Uh, and just uh, the lines, you know, the references to trickle down, you know, like trickle down economics. And, uh, but it's, I, he's, what do you say? So you, man. And this, I'm resentful. And I like at the end where he, he makes that line, the comments about we, we probably would have created them anyway, even if, if it hadn't gone. Oh, this yeah, way. yeah. But I'm That's still, what, yeah. I'm still resentful. I still resentful and I, someone's got to take the blame. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he is, he, he does not, he does not mince words in this song. No, no. And I, and there's even a part where I think he's calling the kids out again, just like from the first stock where he says something about uh, the jump jam, junk in your energies, how to uh, walk, how to walk in dignity with throw up on your shoes. That just reminds me of like college kids, you know, partying all night and they're the ones that got to, you know, at a rave and they, they're the ones they got to, they got to wake up. No, that that's actually a reference to George Bush puking on his shoes because apparently he vomited at a state dinner. In Japan. I remember that, but I, that's where he got a lot of broccoli jokes after that. Yeah. Yeah. He had the broccoli joke. That's right. Yeah, I don't know that he, but he was at a table. I, he didn't really throw up on his shoes. But I get that reference now. But I, I, I guess I saw it in a different direction. I like both. Wow. We'll, we'll, we'll go with both interpretations. It's cool. I like. But yeah, the words he uses are just, I mean, very angry. You know, what's uh, brooding, duplicitous, wicked, and able, media ready. There's just, there's, I think he says F- you a couple times. Yeah. Um, the Republic, my skinny ass. TV tells me a million lies. It's just so angry and he, he he but he does it he still does it in a very smart uh way but this is yeah. as this is as close to punk rock as rem 
gets. Yeah. We we need to resurrect this song for the next <laughs> yeah, we round do. of uh, of uh of voting, right? Yeah, it's wow. Oh yeah. This there this song it, and more than any of the other songs on this record, there are moments as a cuz as a guy who writes songs and as a lyr- as a lyricist, I don't know how after how many years I've been listening to this record, there are still parts where I just let him, you know, you stop trying to like go with him on the words and just let it just be the gibberish blur of mm-hmm. this, of, of like poetic melt that he throws out there. I mean, cause it like how he breaks it up is, is really impressive because I mean, I mean, the Wicked and Able Media, Ready, Heartless, and Labeled, Super U.S. Citizen, Super Achiever, Mega, Ultra Power, Dosing, Relax, Defense, 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 Defense. I mean, just, God, <laughs> it's so good. I'm like, I just think as somebody actually trying to perform that every night and remembering all of that, you know, it just makes me think of his, like, again, his ability to do to throw songs like this together. Like, it's the end of the world as we know it. And, and yeah. being able to, like, yeah. blast, like, all of that. That I would have a hard time with as a singer. I would, I would be like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta, I better refresh that the lyrics on that song before we do the song live. Well, he used to, he used to have a a, a stand where you would put some of the lyrics to some of those songs, like "It's the End of the World" as as we know it. <laughs> yeah, so that, you, you have to. You have, have to. to. Yeah, it's so yeah. much. But it's it is awesome, and my score doesn't reflect it. But it's, uh, it's an awesome song. Yeah, my mine too. Anyone think that this song is like a teaser of what's to come on Monster? Oh, it could be. It's definitely more. Yeah, this it definitely would fit on that record. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, again, you know, and at the same time, looking looking at it now, you know, as an as an adult and and having years to process it and hear what he's saying and making sense of that, like yeah, those presidential terms of eighty, eighty four, eighty eight, ninety two, two, two. You know, like him throwing that out there like as a kid i didn't get that you know like i knew there was politics involved but it didn't i didn't understand it the same way you know you see it now and you're like wow this guy was just he had he had a he had his soapbox he had a place of which to have his voice be heard and this is how he used it and it's like kudos to you man that's really amazing you know he didn't. He he was not diplomatic at all about this message, no. and that's no. really awesome. Yep, rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Finger in the air. <laughs> there you oh, go. There you go. One hundred percent. All right, uh, Wayne, your score. I gave it a seven, but all right. it, it's once again, it's not for a lack of integrity. Nope. Scott, I have very reluctant for four asterisk. Yep. Yes. Um, and I'm giving this a six. And again, asterisk for me as well. Um, leads us to Star Me Kitten.
and uh, I was giving Wayne grief earlier for his number one. So here, here it is. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> so you guys know, you guys know any of the backstory of why it's called Star Me Kitten? No, I don't. I don't. That's to take the place of the word. Fuck, I'm assuming because that's that's yes. what he says in yes. Because uh, isn't isn't Star Me Kitten? Doesn't that sound like something a young Frank Sinatra would say to like his fourth grade teacher when he turned in a, an exceptionally good spelling test? Star Me Kitten. <laughs> Maybe. So 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 the story goes. Um, they were in Seattle. The band was in Seattle at the same time that Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks were filming Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, wow. Okay. So they originally were going to call this F me kitten. And Meg basically talked Stipe out of it by saying, well, when we used to want to swear back in the day, we would replace the F word with star. So Mm -hmm. she was trying to help them not get that you know, going back to what you were talking about earlier, Scott, trying to help them prevent from getting that parental advisory <laughs> sticker right. on the record. So which which here here's the here's the funny part of that. Even though they changed the name of the song, he <laughs> throws the F word at the end of this at yeah, the end of the song. He, he does. So whatever. I think this song actually has the most obscenities of of any song on the record, right? I think that this is the one. This is the one because he he throws it out at least three times, twice, three times, Tw- yeah. yeah, three, three times, time. yeah, 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 three times, yeah, yeah. And and because he was, um, maybe I overanalyzed the lyrics as well, but um, I have to assume that he was there at the same time that that Nirvana was getting ready to uh, record in utero and. Anybody else get any any Nirvana vibes when he says, "Hey, love, look into your glove box heart." Oh yeah, the glove box heart line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Kind of felt like a heart shaped box, maybe. Another play on words. And, and well, and when you say that too, because the the kind of the the narrative of the song is this this relationship that's clearly uh, rocky, but there's also this obsession for the for the I, let's say girl. Um, so that makes that actually when you say that, you know, obviously everybody is aware of the relationship between Kurt and Courtney. If he saw any of that, this song could have definitely inspired that. I would see that if I had it. And in fact, if it was true, it would have helped my score. But ultimately, the one thing that got me on this song that I didn't like is the organ and the background vocals sound like they're to a different song. They didn't they did not mesh with. Okay. what Stipe was doing up front. Oh, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing. Cause I, I, I have my own opinions about the song, but I, I have a, I, yeah, I, I have an issue with, with this particular song. And this is, again, this is like a weird neurotic thing for me, but when we were kids, uh, there was this list of, uh, of tenets. Uh, this is these, these rules that Chick Corea had said, if you're writing songs or you're playing in music, what you should do and what you should not do. And one of those rules was like, if somebody else is playing the same part as you don't like change your part, don't play the same thing. And it always drove me nuts that there's like, and it's very intentional. They're doing it intentionally, but Michael Stipe's his vocal melody is going right along with that guitar part. Like the, 
da, 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 da. And it's, and it just always kind of rubbed me the wrong way that, it, that it was like, Oh, they're like, is that, that's, that's what we did there. You know? And again, this is me being hypercritical of a song that I still love, <laughs> you know, but it's, uh, but yeah, that was like one thing that I, Oh, it always just kind of mildly rubbed me the wrong way. And I, and I also thought that as a lyricist, the the shock value of using the f word there it can be really important and impactful when it's used the right way and at the same time it can also be a throwaway and be like oh i just felt like shocking people and throwing that word in there and i didn't think i didn't think the song needed it i didn't think it gained anything from being like oh check it out you know but hearing the story of now about meg ryan makes me revisit that and i'm like oh i made a bad judgment maybe because now i want to rethink that I think it's cool that he changed the title of the song, but didn't change the lyrics in the version. So yeah, there's a reason for everything. Yeah. I, I gave it, I went back and forth between this and Monty and I eventually gave this a a four. And part of it is just the recency of, of it. So Mm -hmm. there's a new Leonard Cohen record out that uh, his son had, had put out with, uh, some some Leonard Cohen tapes that he had found, and this totally has a Cohen vibe to it for sure. And I'm and I'm, so I'm kind of digging the Cohen yeah um, record right now. So okay. that's probably I probably gave it a little bit higher score because it totally has a Cohen vibe to it. It totally does. And even at that time period, this is like ninety. I mean, this is ninety two. This is back when when yeah. Leonard when Leonard Cohen came out with the Future. That record was like unbelievable. I remember being so knocked out by that record and they, what uh, natural born killers, like they used it in their soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And I mean that, yeah, for me, that was like, that was, yeah. Stormy kitten has a very Cohen Leonard Cohen vibe. All right. So Scott, did you give me score? I get, I gave this song a two. Okay. And then we already know what Wayne He's got yeah, it. but I'm looking over these lyrics and that whole we this whole Courtney Love Kurt Cobain thing. I'm telling you, it's coming together. <laughs> this love is tired. Uh, what's the one? Can I throw in the ring? No gasoline, just fuck me, kitten. You are wild, and I am in your possession. I don't know. I'm just saying. It's I know we may we may have, we may have stumbled onto something. <laughs> well, well, there's going to be more Kurt talk in the next song. So let's go to Man on the Moon. And the reason why I say that there's a there's a Kurt vibe. So this also was um, famously noted about how Michael walked around Seattle to get the lyrics put together for for this. Oh. And um, and part of all the the yeah yeah yes yeah um, is he was trying to one up Kurt. He said that that Kurt used yeah yeah uh, way too many times 
in his in his song, so he was trying to one up him. Any guesses how many yas are in this uh, in this song? How many yas? <laughs> no, oh. no idea. There's four know. at a time, so it's, it's four at a th- yeah. So 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 Michael Ooh. said fifty four fifty four yas. Wow, there's wow. fifty four yas in there. There you go. Useless trivia to tell all your friends. Fifty four yas and man on the moon. Wow. Um. All right. The deluxe version demo is called the C to D slide 13. Mm. So there you go. Second single released in November of 92. It felt like this song was everywhere, right? So, so where do you, where do you, where do you think this landed on the billboard hot 100? Oh, 15. Scott, what you think? This one, uh, I'm going to say 11. 30. God. Oh, wow. Can you believe really? that? I, I listen to too much alternative radio as it, uh, at this yeah. uh, the alternative songs that the song chart it was number it was number 2. Song. Okay. Wow. And this one had that great dusty old Hollywood western town video. Like they yeah. had all sorts of like yeah, this is wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I would have never thought that 30. Man. And they sold 18 million copies of this album. And it was, yeah. a, this was 30. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. Amazing. Really to me. Yeah. Um, so, so Wayne, what, what, what you got to, to say about man on the moon? Cause um, you and I both have this as our top score. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's just a great song. I mean, it, and it has this, this great, easy to play melody, but I, if this is the song, which is, it's got a lot of similarities to, let's say, like the end of the world as we know it, because there's tons of references in here that I think would slip by people. I know, and I've heard the idea, you know, the the theme around Andy Kaufman was that uh, it was a conspiracy, his death was a conspiracy, which I do remember when Andy Kaufman died and there was like, he died of lung cancer. He didn't smoke. It all seemed really, I remember it happening and it seemed really weird and, and not, it, it could be, and with his personality too, it seemed very much like this could be a setup to a gag. Then there's the moon landing and all, but there's all these references to religion. Um, even I think wrestling, which is a completely choreographed entertainment, is a reference to religion. I think when you reference scientists, you're kind of taking a, a shot at religion. I think also even the idea of the the chorus of we put a man on the moon. Uh, it doesn't mean that there's a that, that if it happened that there's that, that that God made it happen. It's like people, you know, invested time and treasure and made this happen. I thought one of the great lines is, "I'll see you in heaven if you make the list." Great line, yeah, great line. I just think this is all a very, very clever and very well done criticism of of organized religion. I like it. I like that a lot. I mean, again, yeah, the line, here's a truck stop instead of St. Peter's. Yep. So cool. You know, Egypt was, uh, there's Moses, but like I say, just like every time within the context of the whole thing, when he mentions Newton and then Darwin, those are two guys that once again, science in general is kind of a foil to religion in a lot of ways. Yep. Yeah. Oh man. I don't know. I, I, 
I, I feel like we could probably talk about Man on the Moon forever, but I feel like whatever we're going to say, everybody has already said it. Again, yeah, you know, that's this is why I have the score that I have for this song, because, it, again, it was just such a huge song. And when I, when I remember first listening to this record, this was definitely one of the songs I played the most and probably my favorite for many, many years. And it, it you know, to know uh, uh, contribution from, from the band themselves and the music that they wrote, it's just the song became something that I think I got so desensitized from that I look to the, I look to the record, this record for like other lesser played gems. And I fell in love with those other songs, you know, yeah. um, cause the song, everyone knew the song and, um, you know, I didn't know, I remember being a kid and not knowing Andy Kaufman. I didn't know who he was. I had to like be told later on, like, Oh, that's this guy. He was on Saturday Night Live. He's kind of like a, you know, and then I remember, Oh, this was my education to who that person was. Um, and again, just as Wayne, as you just went into the whole thing about the religion, now I'm, I'm like, you know, my I'm spinning thinking about the song again, <laughs> and again, and reluctant, very, very unsure of the score that I gave it. I mean, I feel like it's a middle of the road score because I was like, I know where I like everything else, and I have to put something somewhere. So this song got that because again, it's just something. Where it's in, yeah. It's like you said earlier, Ben. It's in my DNA. The song. It's like it's almost immediately taken for granted because I just know it so well. Totally. Totally. All right. Well, I told you this is my this is my high score, Scott. I gave it a six, right in the middle. And then Wayne. Uh, this got my top score. Yeah. All right. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we we all have our sidewinders. It's a, it's okay. It's, yeah. all, it's all good. Um, all right. Next song. Second to last song. Night swimming. Night swimming deserves a quiet night I'm not sure all these people understand It's not like years ago Fear of getting caught The recklessness of water They cannot see me by every day night swimming remembering that night September's coming soon and I'll just start with Scott so this I know one. what your score is in advance yeah. so tell me why you love this one um, again you know you have I've got emotional connections to this song, but I just think that, um, especially at the time, the way that this song starts with the, you know, the quartet, the string quartet sort of, you know, tuning up and getting ready before the song kicks in. And that piano, I mean, that's just like the hook of this song. It was like, at the time for me, it was like nothing I had ever quite heard before. And it was like a love song that made me feel something that I had yet to figure out, you know, like I hurt from this song and I didn't know why for me and to take 
a lyrical image of something that at that time I'd never heard anyone put those two words together, night swimming. And that it sounded to me like the kind of stuff that kids and, you know, kids my age at the time, you know, being a teenager, teenagers would do that. You know, like, oh, we're, we're old enough to be out past dark and we're old enough to kind of get into some trouble and, you know, do what we want to do and going off and whether it's, you know, it, and I always assume it's assumed that it's like, you know, naked swimming, you it know, is. because he says, yeah, because yeah, he's saying they cannot see me naked. And, um, but th- that idea of young love or young, not even if it's love, if it's just a peop- a group of people, just young, young kids off going and doing something that they're not supposed to be doing the fear of getting caught and, uh, turn something like a prank or this thing that we're, we're not supposed to do, but we want to do it anyway. Cause we're young and we feel like it into like a, an, a gorgeous, beautiful moment, you know, this, this, this thing. And I also have an issue with this song and all of the, uh, and I am stubborn. So I, I will believe what I want to believe, even though I have no proof to back this up and all of the things I've seen online have proven me wrong but there's a lyric in this song. And again, this is back. This album came out pre internet. Uh, but the line where he says, um, you know, pine, I'm pining for the moon. And what if there were two side by side in orbit around everything says the fairest sun, which in my opinion, I thought I'd give Michael, Michael Stipe more credit than that as a lyricist. And I, the fairest son. It just seems almost too Shakespearean to say it. I always thought that that was Ferris, like a Ferris wheel saying oh. two side by side in orbit around a Ferris sun. Like that's always what I thought. And cause it makes me think of summertime being, you know, a kid and sort of allowed to make your own rules up, at least for the summer September's coming soon, you know, like, looking forward to getting back to friends and whatever, but you know, I don't know. It's, it's like one of the most romantic songs without actually being like necessarily uh, a conventional love song. And yeah, for me and my, my wife, it's like, it's, it's definitely like one of the, at the top of the heap for us. So, so that one, yeah, for me is, uh, it's my jam. I, I love it. <laughs> Such a great song. Yeah. I absolutely love this song. Uh, the only thing that's missing from that quartet warming up is the is the uh, conductor tapping on the podium with his baton. <laughs> right. I, I actually <laughs> yeah. waited for that. I thought that would happen. This song drips with nostalgia, and I am just an absolute sucker for that to begin with. Um, this sure. could have gone corny easily, and he never lets that happen, which I think is a is a tribute to him. But yeah, uh, I had you know the story, and he. I keep getting mixed. I get mixed stories from what. Uh, Michael Stipe says it's about, but Peter Buck and Mike Mills both describe it as exactly like it would, you would think. And it's about a bunch of these, these guys, this, that scene in, and Athens and they'd, after the clubs, they'd all, they, they'd go out to skinny dipping in these lakes late at night, this whole college kid, you know, innocence and this, this fun thing. And like the song comes to me from that, that perspective of when, cause he has some lines about, you know, the fear of getting caught or the recklessness of water. They can't see me naked. All these things that you, that as a kid kind of are, you don't know better. You don't know to be worried about any of these things. You don't have any, 
any fear. And he describes that beautifully. And like I say, then you can see he uses some lines to kind of make the time pass. Uh, like I think if it is Ferris son, which is I love your description, but it sounded to me like time goes on. He trips around the sun orbits, you know, the, you know, the, the earth orbits, the sun, all this time goes on right. and all of these things change and all of these things that as when you were a kid or, or this young adult and you're out night swimming with your friends and now all of a sudden there's, there's bills to pay. And there is there, like I was talking about, like the, this is a, this is where I would have brought up finger in the air because this takes me back to that exact time when I didn't know what I didn't know. And I wasn't scared of anything. And he, 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 he conveys that without getting sappy and corny. And he uses all these beautiful, this beautiful imagery and this super melancholy voice to, to, to put all this uh, out there. And if I could have given two twelves, I, I probably would have given this one. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, man. So true. Yeah. And you know what? And again, about the lyric thing, like, I, it's all it's all really it's all my wishful thinking because at the same time he makes references in the beginning the first verse and the and the last verse about um you know like with the photograph turned around backwards so the windshield shows um you know like every street it's it's all about reflection and the, uh what does he say on the last one yeah um the photograph reflects every streetlight and the reflection and the mirror mirror on the wall and who's the fairest of them all. And so I've thought about that too, being like this reflection, this moment of like that fair, like this, this time, this special time and this particular song, um, like it's, it's so important to me. And like, I yearn for that nostalgia the same way you guys were just saying, like that in my own, for any people out there that are, that listen to my band, there's a song that I have called sea of old friends off of a record called pride, the cold lover. And that is like a direct lyrically. That is a song where I was going to trying in my own way to pay direct homage to this song of that, of that, like looking back to that nostalgia of youth and that moment of like doing stuff that, you know, we probably weren't supposed to do, but doing it anyway. And, uh, you know, yeah, so so for me, uh, night swimming, man, it's it's the top of the heap on this on this album for me. Very very cool. Did you guys and, know and that it, this was a single? I no, was I it? did. I saw that it was it was late, wasn't it? It was real it was, late. Yeah, it was after everything had died down with every every everyone hurts and um, yeah. Wow, so, fifth single. That's yeah. great. I didn't know that. Yeah, and who like I say, whoever came up with the idea of of just the strings and the piano and michael is is a is a genius because like i say i to piggyback on what you had said earlier there's nothing can make that epic sound like a piano uh yeah you you just if you want to punch something home i sometimes you got to turn the amps off and get a big grand piano you guys know what piano was used to to do the song to record the song no (laughs) no the same piano that was done for layla Oh wow! Really? Yeah. There you go. Oh man, that's wild. Well, I, I will say this: like again, you know, I think great record. I mean, great records have have groups of songs that work so well together. You know, and, and you have different feelings. Like when you look at this record and where we are right now, and thinking of like those first four songs of like "Drive" to "Try Not to Breathe," "Sidewinder" kind of brings it back, and then it's "Everybody Hurts." 
and then you have a break with uh, the instrumental, and then you've got Sweetness Follows, Money Got a Raw Deal, and Ignore Land. Star Me Kitten, again, is a little, a bit of an outlier. And then, but like these last three, I mean, Man on the Moon, Night Swimming, and Find the River, it's like, there it's Amazing. it's like to yeah. end to end a record like that yeah. it's like oh my god talk about yeah, yeah. going out strong just crushes yeah, yeah. it's just such yeah. a crusher yeah it's a playoff run <laughs> it is all right. <laughs> all right i don't think we got score so uh scott oh i i gave this this is my 12 night swimming is my and 12. Then wayne 10 and i'm matching your 10 which uh nice. let's wrap this up so this is find the river And just so you know, this was the sixth and final single from the record. <laughs> and like the previous Holy song, cow. it didn't chart. For those stories at home. Yeah. Uh, wow. The demo version is called 10K Minimal. There you go. 10K Minimal. One of the things that drove me to this song was the Michael Stipe and Mike Mills. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely made mention of that. They're not harmonizing on this. There, there's two different parts going on yeah. on this. And I love it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. Going back to your uh, your comment, Scott, about uh, you know throwing a bunch of of words together to come up with your lyrics. Um, mm-hmm. I had to Google a few things. So in chorus <laughs> two, uh, where he talks about is it bergamot and vetiv- bergamot, vetiver? Yeah, which is like, yeah, isn't and they're like they're spices and seeds, like are there uh, perfumes, right? It's like it's a they're it's so thing, so bergamot is a fragrant citrus fruit. It's a fragrance. Yes. yes, right. Yes, and then vetiver is a uh, again. This is coming directly from from Google. Tall, erect, rigid, fragrant, perennial grass. So I guess it's it's similar to citronella, lemongrass, and palmarosa. Are you kidding me? He, I know. Where did he come up with this stuff? See, this is again where I with but, ginger, but, lemon, and you know coriander, all this, yeah, the spices of life, and rose of hay. Yeah, like again, like these things. This is why, and and I have no proof to ever back this up. But I feel like he went on like a Simon and Garfunkel kick for a hot sec with parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. you know, like I mean, uh, what is that in that song in Scarborough Fair where it's where all the spices are named and like tell her to reap it in a sickle of of leather and um, yeah. So I just see this coriander stem and rose of hay and all of these spices and seasonings and it's like. And, and and I don't know, it, like, when I think about that record, I think about this, like, again, 
the like that all that music was like in the graduate which was all about this young man sort of coming to terms with like who he was as a person in the world that he was forced to live in and figuring out what he wanted to do and which is a and I love that I love that I love that movie I love uh and the soundtrack to that so some of those things like I tie in this weird graduate Simon and Garfunkel lyrics meeting this, you know, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, like I have to find the river and go and tell my, yeah, it's just the images are like, it explodes. It's like the flavors are like so insane on this last song for me. Just like it's, it's. Yeah. And it's, it feels like, it feels totally like a companion piece to night swimming though, with all the references to water, uh, the drowning and rivers and oceans. It feels like a continuation almost of that, of what I, you know, I was talking about because the river leads to the ocean. That's your, that's your life. You get in, you get your, you get in this river and then you follow it to the ocean. The end. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a coming of age yep. song. I mean, that to have him where he's saying, um, what is it? Uh, the read on the speed meter says that you have to go to task in the city where people drown and people serve. And that idea of like, you're going to leave where you're from you're going to go and it's going to be scary, but you know, we all have to make that move. We all, you know, this is what you do when you grow up and you have to come of age. And and that, again, like tying it again, back to me personally, it was just like the, my formative years, like just that this, it's such a coming of age song and uh, on a record. I think that, yeah, like it hit me like a hammer over the head. Yeah. And then and like, it's just, but it's not just that. It's like there, yeah, it's this river. It's not that simple. Because he then he throws in all of these these you know fragrances and spices like don't don't just float down the river like live there's more there's things to smell and things to see yeah that's exactly uh, one line says don't don't be shy right yeah yeah like yeah he literally says don't be shy yeah it's only just light years which is which is a distance not time yeah who who has the who has the lyric of smell the flowers while you can ooh. <laughs> now I'm gonna have to Google uh, okay. it because I, I know I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, I did want to since we've talked about the the list of the plants and herbs. So I, I found something that was kind of kind of amusing. There, Michael Stipe did a Q and A um, several years ago, and somebody somebody said, "I'm familiar with all of the the herbs except for rose of hay." I thought it might be Rose spelled R O W S of hay, but is it Rose R O S E of hay? And Michael responded, he was like, it is Rose R O S E of hay. I made it up because I needed and could not find something that rhymed with way and naivete. Wow. <laughs> nice. He said, he said, nice catch. Check out the list of convenience store goods in Saturn return. For another gaff in honest lyric writing, that one is particularly embarrassing. Well, it's not the pompatus of love, but still. Wow. No. Mm. Well, you know what? That's interesting, though. So he said that it was R-O-S-E. So hearing from the horse's mouth that it's R-O-S-E. Yet, you know, when you look at like iTunes and again, this is my my problem with whoever the, wherever these lyrics come from people just take it as gospel that these are the lyrics and no one does their homework you know 
and I, I can simply say that like I have lyrics for my my music that is not accurate online and I always wonder I'm like how does this happen who said this who wrote this how did this get there because this isn't accurate these are that's not what I said this is not the lyrics but it's up there and someone just decides nope that's it that's how it goes and if you're not careful if you sell 18 million copies people will say oh those are the words it's rose of hay r o w s you know that's the, that's it now and as I'm looking I'm looking at it right now from Apple Music and it says R O W S of hay. Nope. Yeah. So there you go. Not it. <laughs> Not according to Michael. Oh, by the way, I just uh, Googled smell the flowers. And Wayne, you're going to totally make fun of me when I say this. <laughs> that could have happened anyway, though. Still. So that was on my U2 shirt that I had years ago. Oh, really? And now I'm just now. I had I had to have Google remind me. So that <laughs> that is that is the the what they had on the the shirt for one. Wow. So anyways. smell the roses or smell the flowers while you can. So my memory is definitely going and I'm an old dude and I'm becoming senile. So there you are. And I feel like the last three lines kind of throw it back to the beginning where he called the kids out and then the last three lines are pick up here and chase the ride. The river empties to the tide. All of this is coming your yeah. way. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Where you're like, you're, it's, it's somehow, it That's, sounds hopeful and at the same time ominous. You're like, how does that work? Where, yeah, you know, cause <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh, th- like that's good. All of this is, if for yeah. the first time, cause the whole song he's saying, yeah. nothing's going my way, you know, nothing isn't, this, these things aren't yeah. going my way. And then all of this is coming your way for a moment has a hopeful thought, but it also has this thought of, like get ready because yeah. good, yeah, luck, good luck it's coming <laughs> you're gonna have to manage this and deal with it um yeah it's yeah so great Such so a great. great song is there a better is there a better last three songs of any record to close out a record than these three <laughs> not that i can think of not, right not, now. yeah not that I, not I, that i could I think of think offhand of no no yeah all right let's get some scores all right um, so I'm at, I'm at 11 Wayne. I gave it a nine. I ran out of double digit numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, I gave it a 10. Yeah. So, um, did we, did we cover it? I did th- we miss anything? <laughs> I don't think uh, so. I don't think man. so. I think we got it all. I think uh, you guys are, you guys are sweet for you. you you've, uh, let, let me go on and on. So here I, I, I you kidding me? We've we've gone on and on as well. We'll have to do so. some editing, I'm sure. Uh, no, ah. probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's. It's been so much. It's been so much fun. It's such a juicy oh, yeah. album. All right, we always we always figure out what our top five is. So uh, any guesses for our number one? I think night swimming. I think uh, night swimming is edged edged, but uh, with an average score of ten point six six over a. Two-way tie for Man on the Moon and Find the River. Yep. Okay. Yep. So and the, the, the those moon. both had average scores of 10. Wow. All and right. And uh, number four, what's our fourth? Oh. Drive. I'm going to say Sweetness Follows. No, Wayne tinked that for us, Scott. <laughs> That's right. Sorry. That That's didn't right. make our top five because right. of Wayne. Uh, I told Peter right. that Wayne. <laughs> uh, Drive is number four. And then everybody hurts rounds it up with okay. uh, with our our fifth. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a that's solid great. five. Oh yeah, 
Except I would have still liked to have seen That's Squeak great. as follows wow. on there, but you know. Well, you know, votes have been cast. <laughs> what can you do? What can you do? Well, you had the scores in advance. I don't know how much. Yeah. I know. I, I, I guess I could have Jerry Jerry rigged it a little bit. Gerrymandering. But I did not do that. No, I did not do that. Um, all right. So, uh, Scott, this was fun. Thank you. Oh, very yeah, much absolutely. No, man. Hey, th- thank you guys so so much for letting me be a part of it. It's uh, and and to to the REM people out there, I, I hope I hope that they feel that we gave it its due. We certainly didn't uh, try to cut anything. Yeah, short for lack of trying. We, we've talked about it. <laughs> right. Yeah, man. All right. So uh, the 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 last question that I throw out to everybody is sure. uh, who who do you know that I don't know who'd want to join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records. Oh wow! Okay, your 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 referral line is is crazy because I bet you're like, well, Brian Dunn would probably be a good one, and Stephen Kellogg. And, <laughs> yeah, you'd be right. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm seeing that you've got yeah Brian and Stephen and Carbon Leaf and Anthony have already done it. Well, we talked about Will Hogue earlier. I definitely think I think that Will should certainly do the show. Um, and where I would also uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, my friends uh, up in Canada called the trues they're in a, a great band and i don't know oh. if you guys and have, have have gone they're also the friends trues. oh great they're great and they're also good friends with will hogue and our band and yeah they are our canadian our canadian brethren we love them so much they're outstanding and i think they'd have a i think they'd have a, a lot of fun with you guys for sure awesome okay all right well, I've already thrown out uh, to to Will to come out. He has not responded yet. So okay, put, put, well, next uh, time you see him, put put the bug in his ear. Right. I know he's recording a new record, so that probably all has right. something to do with it. I'll lean on it, but I'll tell you, I think that uh, both the 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 two brothers, the McDonald brothers, Colin and John Angus uh, of the Trues, I think could have a have a blast with you guys. Uh, either 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 okay. or or both. Yeah, they're they're for sure. We'll, we'll chat offline and we'll make that happen. Awesome. Sounds good. Cool. All right. Let's wrap this up since uh, we've gone way <laughs> over. Um, as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisited Podcast. We're on Instagram at Records Revisited Podcast or by using the hashtag of Records Revisited Podcast. We're on Twitter at Podcast Records. Find us on all of the major platforms please go subscribe, rate or review us and go tell a friend. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts, go to a live show, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, visit a record store and not just on record store day. We are records revisited and we are out. 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 (laughs) Perfect.